Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Gaethje gets his third straight first-round finish. Tristan Connolly puts himself on the map with a win over Michelle Peheja. David Branch released from the UFC after a positive USADA test. Zabit versus Cater moves to Moscow. Diaz versus Masvidal. They're going to square off tonight at a press conference in New York City. And we are joined by the man himself, Tristan Connolly, after that big win over Michelle Peheja, as well as Jeremy Stevens in the main event against Yair Rodriguez this weekend at UFC Fight Night in Mexico City. And Tyson Nam making his long-awaited UFC debut at age 35. Also on that card against Sergio Pettis. Thanks to those listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa or to the podcast. Please tell your friends, review the show, and subscribe. We appreciate any listener feedback you may have. So please send us a note on Twitter, at Aaron Bronstetter, and at Bazooka Joe V is where we can be reached. Joe, you enjoyed the card this weekend? Uh, It was good. I was um, in Calgary and Edmonton, so I got to watch it out there, which was uh, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, there were some good fights. I really liked uh, that main event. It kind of went how I expected, but uh, overall, some decent fights. What do you think has changed with Gaethje? I mean, Gaethje uh, was in all these wars, these yeah, five-round yeah. wars, four-round wars, basically until someone broke. But now he's being a lot more economical with his, with his striking. You know, the thing I noticed from looking at the stats was that his volume was basically just as high as it ever was yeah. in the first round. But he, it seems like he's picking his spots a little bit better. Uh, how many five-round fights has he had? Let me go look. Because I was going to say, that could be a determining factor as well. I mean, that being a five-round fight against an experienced guy like Cowboy... He wanted to sit down, take his time, but... Well, he's had a lot of fights scheduled for five, but he has only had one fight go into the championship rounds. That was the one against Poirier. Went in the 33 seconds into the fourth round. Yeah. Well, he played the right strategy, that's for sure. I mean, just to sit there and be patient. Um, just because you're an aggressive power striker, I mean, it's really nice to get guys to throw and then use the low kicks. And as a good low kicker myself, I mean, you kind of want guys to punch so you can take the leg, and that was the good timing for it, but... Uh, yeah, he gets it done, man. I'm just, I mean, that I. It's hard to say if it was. Uh, I needed to see more of him to see if it was like a whole style change or what it was. But that little bit of patience did pay off. I just don't know if it's a five rounder, if it's his idea to, that he needs to fight this way for five rounds. But uh, I don't know. I was impressed, regardless. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be and. Now it's going to be interesting to see what happens next with Gage. It seems like he's only looking up, and the only three names ahead of him are Khabib, McGregor, and yeah. uh, Tony Ferguson. So uh, now what? You know, now yeah, that, that's yeah. the thing. And I think Dustin Poirier might be ahead of him as well, but he's already fought Poirier. I mean, I, I'd like to see him and Poirier run it back. I think that would be fun. I mean, yeah, it was a, lot a great of people fight. Are saying that. But uh, how does McGregor fit into all of this? I think that's the big question that everybody has right now. Yeah, and everyone's uh, talking about how Connor tweeted the Ireland show, right? Uh, December 14th, I believe. It's not a real thing, though. I oh, mean, he just made I think that there, up? I think there might be a boxing event or something, but yeah. He's just, you know, McGregor, he tweets whatever's on his mind. Okay. But this is the weird thing about it, though. Like, he's still ranked, I think, third in the rankings, McGregor, in the, in the lightweight division behind, I think he's just behind Poirier and Ferguson. But, like, the guy's fought twice at lightweight. His only wins against Alvarez, of course, he was the champion at the time, but he's not in the UFC anymore. Lost to Khabib. Like, the guy's barely been active. How, does, how do they keep him there? Like, if, if I'm doing the name rankings, power, I would just power. move him down. It happened to Nate Diaz. They kept moving Nate Diaz down due to the inactivity. Like, how? I mean, Connor has hasn't even sat out for a year yet, so I mean, it's not the inactivity isn't crazy, but it doesn't look like he's going to be fighting this year. And you know, he hasn't won a fight in the UFC in three years. Yeah, 
Well, when you're the big star, I mean, I guess when he comes back, they always want to have him in a position to fight someone in those top names, right? Because if he gets lower down the rankings, I guess it's harder to justify why he's getting those big fights. So, I mean, when you bring in the money, I guess you can go wherever you want. All right, so three names. Gaethje, Ferguson, Poirier. Who does McGregor have the best chance of beating of those three? Gaethje. Why is that? Um, I just think Gaethje's that forward style. McGregor's very elusive. He can move around a lot, try to catch... You know, um, Gaethje, as he's coming in, I think his longer jab, the southpaw style, I think it just favors him. I think he's going to be good at staying long and attacking. He's good at stand switching and staying long to avoid those low kicks. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Gaethje for sure. Your I might, thoughts? I might go with Poirier. And the reason why I say that is because there is a certain mental aspect to knowing you've already beaten somebody. Yeah. Like going into a fight with somebody, knowing that you've already ha- you know, beaten them by knockout in the first round. That that's like a that'll give you a good chip on your shoulder. Now, of course, it'll give Poirier a chip on his shoulder to prove that that was a, a fluke or a one-time thing, or or because they were fighting at forty-five instead of fifty-five. All of those factors will come into play. But from a mental standpoint, if you're McGregor, that might be your best bet is just yeah. facing Poirier and get and you know showing that you can still get wins. But I mean, all of those are tough matchups. Yeah. But I think honestly that Gaethje might be a worse matchup for him than any of the others. Yeah, okay. I can see that. I mean. Pori, I think the reason why I picked Gaethje is I think Pori can box a little bit better. He's a little bit longer. He can use his boxing a little bit more strategically. Um, where Gaethje relies heavily on that low kick, and I know Connor would uh, would be there ready to answer in a counter. But uh, yeah, those are definitely the two. But Connor hasn't dealt great with leg kicks either. Yeah. Like Connor, you know, Connor can get worn down from those leg kicks, and he can get worn down. That's from how pace. you beat. That's that is how you beat him. But the thing is, Gaethje's an orthodox fighter. Connor stands southpaw, so it's a little bit harder for Gaethje to be able to land that outside low kick. So That's that true. would make it very difficult. For and Gaethje him. does get hit, and if you get hit by yeah. one with by Connor, and, and Connor's, you know. it's not the power shot. It's Connor always talks about it's the precision, it's the timing of that shot. He likes to throw them slightly on up angles, which we call like low line shots, which it comes under the vision. Um, so that's the only thing, and it's if Connor was an orthodox fighter, that's a different story. A good low kicker likes to attack the outside leg, so it just see uh, it's just more of how can would Gaethje adapt to that being a southpaw? You know, I did speak to Brad Katona last week, who uh, unfortunately lost his fight to um, Hunter Asia, but um, I had spoken to him about Connor because they're on the same team. He trains in Dublin. And he said that he's seen Conor a lot more in the gym. You know, they opened a brand new SBG gym in mm-hmm. Ireland. And he says that Conor's been there a lot more. Him and Kavanaugh are, are back on the same page. You know, I asked if he's doing some training with uh, McGregor. And he said, I don't know what I could bring to the table. I'm a 35er. Yeah. You know, I don't, so I don't really train with Conor. There's not much I can do that would uh, challenge him, which is fair. But uh, he, he did say that McGregor has been more of a presence in the gym of late. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think he'll always be in the gym. I think that's just what a martial artist does. But it, it would be nice to see him. Um, what are your thoughts on him coming back this year? Likely this year, I think is very unlikely. Like, I if there was a line on him not fighting in the UFC this year, it would probably be like minus five hundred, minus maybe minus a thousand. Yeah. I don't think that it would make sense to bring him back this year. Yeah. I think that right now in December, you've already got Nunes versus uh, Jermaine Durandame booked. Um, you, it looks like. The fight between Usman and Colby is something they're going to try to book there. And there's also a rumor that Volkanovski versus Holloway is going to be booked on that yeah. December card. So a lot of if you're already looking happen. at three championship fights, there's no point of putting uh, McGregor on a card. Now, he did say Dublin December 14th, which is the same date as that other card. Why not host a pay-per-view in Dublin during the day? You could do it. Do two pay-per-views <laughs> in the go. day. That'll be a first. Big business. There you go. Big. But, you know, obviously reserving hotels, a venue, and all that stuff. is it, yeah. It's nice to, to have sure the they have living fairy tale land. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's also a matter of... A lot uh, of fights in one day, too. It's a lot of fights in one day. It's a lot of logistics that you need to put together when you're not expecting to hold a card in, in that particular city. Like, th- these guys hold hotels, like, a year in advance. Arenas a year oh, in yeah. advance. Like, these aren't things that are just... You know, they might announce it two months before the fight where the venue is or something along those lines. Um, sometimes things fall through also. Like, that San Francisco card this year ended up in Tampa because they have trouble securing a hotel. They have oh, trouble securing... I see it a lot with Glory. Yeah. Like, we deal with that every month. And I it's mean, tough. We're, we have all we have a team that kind of goes out and surveys the areas, tries to find hotels. It's a, it's a difficult process. It's, it's not easy. That must be a fun job just being a location scout. Yeah. Like, yeah, let's see how this arena is. No, nah, I don't sometimes, like it. Let's sometimes, sometimes. Let's yeah. go somewhere else. They they brought them into like these different Russia places and it's like it's a lot of travel. Like I'm already going to be on a crazy travel schedule. Now on my time off, I'm doing location surveys. I'm like, "Ah, eh. <laughs> a lot of travel, too much travel. No, but I'm talking me. about that would be your primary your job. Main. It's yeah. just like scouting locations. Yeah. But you'd still want to go to the fights after you find the location, you found yeah. the venue. You'd want to go. I guess so, probably. I guess after a while, it's not as cool. Yeah, that's true. So, are you excited about it? Excited about the uh, the upcoming travel? Or are you uh, you know a little ah. worried because you've, you've had a, such a slow year? I know. In terms it's, of we travel. had this nice couple months off, but uh, I'm excited to just be back commentating. I'm excited to be back watching kickboxing. The cards are slowly coming out. They're stacked. But uh, I'm you mean not the main a great events. traveler. What are the main events that have been announced so far? Uh, main events so Bistotti. far. Uh, yeah, you got uh, Gregorian and yeah. Bastadi. That's going to be coming up. That's you the Miami have, card? Uh, no, Miami's going to be uh, Alex Pereira, the middleweight yep. champ, taking on um, Donaghy Abena, who uh, is a, it's a light heavyweight fight. So uh, Pereira's looking to have the interim light heavyweight and the middleweight. Because the big goal is to set up Alex Pereira with the light heavyweight champ, Artem Vahitov. Mm-hmm. So that's the fight they're hoping. So if Pereira gets this, Vahitov heals his hand, boom, you got a super fight. Um, then you have the, the young kid, Tajani Bastadi, fighting uh, Gregorian. That's on the next card. And then in uh, France, Lyon, they just announced uh, Cedric Dumbe versus uh, Myrtle Grunhart, uh, oh, that's Grunhart the rubber match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to... That's, a lot of trash talking, a lot of heat, a lot of uh, behind the scenes. So if you guys... Uh, like that kind of stuff, those guys are going to bring some heat. Yeah, Grunhart looked good in his last fight. Yeah, I'm I trying to think. Um, I think it was on the same card as Doombay, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm, I might be wrong. On that. I'm trying. To, I, I've seen. So it all many comes fights. together. Yeah. yeah, it all just melds into I'm, one. I'm, I'm focused on Miami's study right now. I yeah. got to get there slowly. But uh, regardless, man, both are great fighters, and I mean, Doombay's been on a tear, and Doombay um, just keeps getting better. And I mean, we all heard him on Rogan recently, and. We just no coach, and he just seems to be focusing on his physical fitness, and but it's working. But my big issue with him now is he came out and said, in one year, my glory contract is up. I'm going to the UFC, and that's what he said. So he's been focusing, and I see him posting a lot on him doing jujitsu. So is he taking the time away from his striking to work on the jujitsu? That can be a problem now because now you're. We've seen it with a lot of great fighters where when they're trying to do too much on their plate, they kind of suffer. And then they lose those kickboxing matches. So we got to see. Yeah, How old is Dumbay? I couldn't tell you. Maybe. He's like in his 20s? I would say, yeah, 26, 27 okay. probably cool. and around that. Interesting. Yeah, still young. I think he's actually maybe mid-20s. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Tristan Conley's debut? I mean, takes the fight on four days notice. Yeah, that was class. crazy, eh? Yeah. I couldn't Very believe how, per- uh, how big Pereira was compared to him. He must have outweighed Massive. him by 25, 30 pounds. And how much weight did he miss? Uh, he missed, he missed by one pound. That's it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that sucks because, well, great for Connolly because now he got the full bonus. Yeah. He got to take a uh, $100,000 bonus. Connolly was at like the morning weigh-ins. He weighs in and then he's just walking around the room and he was talking to my, myself and uh, James Lynch and he said like, well, he said, I heard Pereira's just dying across the road. He's trying, cut to cut, he's trying to cut too much weight. Yeah. 
He looks like looks like hell. And he's like, it sounds great to me. I'll get twenty percent of his purse if he misses. Yeah, and then he got the bonus. And he, yeah, and he goes, Andy's quitting. You know, he's already that's he's already nice losing bonus. the first fight. Yeah, yeah, he got the other double bonus. The for double sure. bonus. That's the, that's the best win. I bet you that bonus is more than what he got paid to fight. Probably. Oh, for sure it is. Yeah. It's he probably made you know ten 15 and ten, and 15, fifteen and yeah, fifteen along those lines. And then all of a sudden you get a an extra fifty k on top of your bonus. He's walking out with yeah. uh, probably one hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars for sure, and twenty percent of Pereira's purse. So. Yeah. That's uh, that's a definitely a good look for uh, Tristan Conley. He looks yeah. fantastic in that fight. And you know, yeah. I spoke to him again at the, at weigh-ins, and he told me like exactly what the game plan was going to be, and note note by note recited it the next day yeah. to a T. Like it was it was perfect. Then when he was explaining it to me, also like what to uh, you know what he what he was planning on doing, um, I, I you know I listened to it and I was like that seems like the exact right game plan. But you know it's it's easier said than done. It's easy yeah. to recite a game plan and much harder to execute it. And he just did it perfectly. Yeah, I mean it's no surprise what your game plan would be against someone like Pereira. You got to weather the early storm. I mean after that he's got nothing. That takes so much energy to be flipping, jumping, and falling, and that's a lot of energy. But if you don't finish someone in that case, that's what happens. So I mean I think it just he. Did everything perfect, and just listening to him on different media sites and stuff like that, he seems like a really intelligent guy too. Very soft spoken, and he said in one of his interviews that he even uh, messaged Pereira, giving him advice. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, all right. I don't know how I would take that if if my opponent's starting to give me advice. I would probably (laughs) tell him to go. I probably wouldn't have nice words to say to him, Mm -hmm. but uh, I just think it's cool. It's coming from a good place, though, wouldn't you? No, but still, I still wouldn't be okay with it. I still wouldn't like it. I'd say just worry about yourself. Buddy. What do you What do you think of Pereira? Like a lot of people are saying that oh, what he, what he was doing was a disgrace and all. I don't I don't Not buy into that. He's trying to entertain. And, and are you an okay with that? Like, are you okay with, yeah. with giving with sacrificing game plan or sacrificing effectiveness? Me personally, no. But watching it, we all liked it. I mean, yeah. if he would have landed something like that, we'd he'd be the talk of the town. We'd be talking sure. about him forever, even after his first fight. Everybody says, this is my new favorite fighter. I said it. You said it. Everybody kept saying it. But now, I mean, if it doesn't work, you get this type of, okay, is he worth being here now? People saying, should he even be in the UFC? I mean, it's just, uh, but Amazing I like how quickly it. things change, yeah, right? But I loved it. I thought it's great. Why not? It's spectacular. Spin kicks, rolling thunders. Like, who does that? I mean, it's great. I still think it's exciting. And I hope he continues to do that, but with a little bit more patience, a little bit more setups. Because, man, who's done that? We haven't never seen a style like that. No, nobody. And that's why he's in the UFC, really. Yeah. I mean, he had that kind of viral highlight where he jumped to the kind of backflip off the cage and, yeah. and finished his he's opponent. He's a wild man. Let him yeah. be wild. For sure. I mean, we need different styles. That's what mixed martial arts started as. Different styles fighting to see which one was the best. I mean, we don't all have to be great wrestlers. We don't all have to be kickboxers. Just be you. Try your style and, you know, fight. The other Canadian that looked phenomenal, obviously, was Misha Serkinov. Hey, yeah. He looked really good. Yeah, I was happy to hear that. I didn't think he was in any trouble when he was on the ground and he was getting pounded on. It looked like you could see he was thinking, like, what am I yeah. going to do here? I just think with Misha, in his last few fights, we've seen him shell up a little bit and then not kind of fight out of that shell position. So now that, it kind of made us a little nervous, a little bit more hesitant, but he's learned from it. He adapted and got that necktie. Beautiful. Yeah. Kruta, undefeated before that, and uh, backstage they were talking afterwards. You could see that um, he was giving him some advice after the fact. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think Kroot was kind of blindsided, obviously. He, he was caught in something that I'm sure he doesn't encounter a lot in training. No, no one really. I mean, people probably don't train at light heavyweight for Peruvian <laughs> necktie yeah. finishes. And that was the second Peruvian necktie finish? In UFC history, yeah. yeah. C.B. Dalloway hey. with the first one over Jesse Beautiful. Taylor. Yeah. And I mean, what was cool to me was both of these guys had 
XK1 fighters in their in their camps. You had Ray Seffel with mm-hmm. uh, Misha Serkinov, and then you have Sam Greco in the in the corner of Crute. Yeah, and Dan Kelly also with Crute. Yeah, judo Olympian. Perfect. And Serkinov's a judo guy. Yeah, and so that was where Serkinov actually messed up because he went for that judo throw and he c- couldn't get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was saying to me afterwards when I interviewed him because I made a lot of different mistakes that I, you know, he probably could have capitalized on them that I, you know, I need to. Work on it, yeah. But Which I mean, is, it's you know that's how Misha thinks. Misha very... working with his striking looked better too. You know, oh, we for saw sure. him some good at some points, a bit more relaxed. I mean, just good improvements, and I'm just happy to see after his two losses that he's back and you know looking good at it. And I don't know if you heard him talk about um, virtual reality. He was talking about how he uses a lot of virtual reality as part of his training. He does full boxing matches in his house, like with the helmet on. He uh, does like virtual reality for media and and really? fight week, and and puts himself in crowds and. Uh, makes himself the center of attention. Like, it just that's how he's yeah. he's doing it. I think you should probably talk to him. I think it's really yeah, actually it quite interesting. Be, yeah, I would love to hear about it. Yeah. I mean, he's so close with so many of my friends. And, I mean, one of his closest friends is Matt Embry, who trains with me. Mm-hmm. And we're just so happy for him. It's just so nice to see. And he's moved to Vegas, made the struggle, sacrificed a lot. But he looked big. He looked strong. He did. He's he looked, the biggest he's ever been. He showed oh, me his arm, man. and I said, what's well, almost he as big as mine. He looked massive, man. Mm-hmm. He looked like a tank. So whatever he's doing out there is working, and I hope to see him get back to those uh, top five names. Well, he's a research fiend. He's one of these guys that seems to be ahead of the curve on a lot of different things before other athletes. He's all about like figuring all these different, almost like life hacks out in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. training. That's um, fun, and he though. just seems like he's a step ahead of the game. And I, I, I don't know if you saw him. I sit down with him and his wife. His wife was diagnosed with uh, stage yeah. 2 breast cancer last yeah. year. Yeah, I know. And um, she's doing great now. And yeah. it, I think that, that, you know, he would probably never admit to the fact that it was weighing on him before that Johnny oh, Walker sure. fight, but it for had sure. to happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I heard about it a, a while ago. Um, I was just so sad to, to hear it. But, uh, I mean, she was a beautiful model. I mean, she's gorgeous. She remains I mean, a beautiful model. Yeah, she's gorgeous. I couldn't, yeah. like, I just, she's a gorgeous girl, and they seem great for each other. So, I mean, that's got to be a big, stressful time. So, hey, but, I mean, things are positive, and things are getting on the up for him. So. Yeah, she had her last uh, last chemo rounds, yeah. like, a, about a month or so ago, and she's doing great. Yeah, because I remember, she, like, seeing them before, and um, we're really close with my ex-girlfriend and the, the community there. We knew each other, but... Uh, and then even when she had the chemo, she had, she ended up shaving her head, mm-hmm. and I was like, she's still so gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, it's it's amazing. So uh, just positive. I love it. And uh, I want to talk to you about Todd Duffy. So Todd Duffy. Yeah, my boy. He's a friend of mine, too. Yeah. Did you hear what he was saying at uh, Media Day? And then, uh, no, oh, I didn't get to, but I, I didn't get to hear much of it, but I've been, I kind of got a recap. Yeah, so tell me. The gist of it, essentially, is that he thinks that people that cover the sport need to build the fighters up more, that, that a lot of it is very negative. And uh, a lot of, and that, you know, the UFC is like the prestige sport in the world and that people that cover the sport need to work on building the fighters up instead of breaking them down. And when I was listening to him saying all of this, like I was challenging him on it a little bit. I said, you know, in the NFL, you don't see people and, and fans build these players up like yeah. they, they're basically disposable. You know, they're on your fantasy football team. You want them to do well. If they don't do well, they're garbage that Scrap week. Them, yeah, trade you, them. you trade them, you drop them. They're commodities, essentially. So I think that mixed martial artists actually get, trade with, get treated with more prestige than a lot of other sports. But uh, that being said, I think that you know, it's not often that you have a lot of fighters being forthright with their feelings in, in this regard. And as somebody who covers the sport, I think that it's very helpful to hear what he's saying. Because I, so but what is the example of how the media is being negative? You know, he didn't really give a ton of examples. Because I'm trying to think where do 
I hear media being negative about things. I'm trying to think where his point's coming from. Well, that's the other issue is I he he wasn't really citing any real examples where you could say, okay, well, that's a good example. But, mm. you know, l- listen, I, I want to be as introspective as possible in these situations. If he, f- he feels like there's an issue with the way the sport's covered, and I know that even Alex Davis, one of the, uh, the managers uh, for several fighters in the UFC, came out and said, you know, how many people that cover the sport are actually doing breakdowns and, like, actually covering the technical aspect of the sport? And there are some that do. Yeah. But and on the same, you know, he goes, it's all about soap opera stuff. But on the flip side of that coin, look at every other sport. It's the same thing. Like, the people that are reporting on it that are the most followed reporters, most credible reporters in those sports are focused on salaries. They're focused on uh, yeah. trades. They're focused on uh, free agency all of these different things that are not part of the actual on-court, on-ice, on-field product. Yeah. Whereas in MMA, like a lot of the people that cover the sport might not like. If I were to give technical breakdowns of what's going on, and you know that, that and I tried to really delve deep, and somebody said, "Well, you've never fought before. You don't train jujitsu. How would you know all this stuff?" That's a legitimate. Yeah. Think to say, yeah, it's like a fair point. you know, it's a fair point. But if they say, you know, why are you covering? Why are you reporting on? You know. Uh, a, fighter failing a USADA test, well, I mean, that's my job, is to report on what's happening in the Yeah, you're in reporting sport. a fact. It's yeah. not like you're making, it's not your opinion. I don't you're think anybody's following me to hear my technical analysis on the sport. Yeah. But, I mean, in any case, I mean, how many people are going to sit there and get the technical breakdowns of things? And it's not that exciting to most people. I mean, I, I think... It's Dan, a niche of a niche. Yeah, Dan Hardy, I think, does a great job. He's mm-hmm. one of the guys who, I, I think he has a YouTube breakdown where he does with Gooden. Yeah, I got to meet John Gooden this past weekend. Great yeah. guy. Oh, I, I've heard good, great yeah, things. But, I him. mean, they have a little show, The Breakdown, and it does really well. But, I mean, the casual fan doesn't want to hear these things. You know, it's those little subtleties. Yeah, it's okay. But uh, I think even the UFC desk and stuff, they do a good job at kind of giving you little things to look at and to watch. But, uh, yeah, I think the negative side, I'm just trying to think of some negative things where – if you over-critique someone's style or saying something isn't good, but if it's not as good as the opponent, and then it kind of gets um, out there negative. Like I have, I'll give you a personal case um, where you're trying to build a fight. I was trying to build a glory fight, and one guy had boxing experience, and the other did not have boxing experience. But in order to promote the fight, I kept talking about, okay, this is his chance. He's got really good boxing. He's got, so I was really hyping up his boxing experience of the opponent. And then after the fight, um, I go up and uh, the boxer lost. And I went to, uh, his name was Asa Tenpao, rising star uh, for yeah, glory. Yeah, great. Yeah, so first thing I said is I, I went up to him and was like, man, you knew uh, Nate Richardson was good with his boxing. Um, you know, how did you feel with it? He's like, man, I hate when you guys kept saying that his boxing was good. His boxing isn't better than mine. And so he kind of called me out on air about it, like in the in-ring interview. And afterwards, he's like, you know, sorry, I shouldn't. I was like, no, that was great because, you know, you created the story, you created the narrative, and you showed that your hands were better than him. But there has to be a little bit of a storyline to get people excited. So, I mean... The thing is, as a journalist, and you, say, and you didn't necessarily say that his, that his boxing was, bad, was better but or just his to was say, bad. Yeah, just to say his boxing. You were saying was, that's his focus and that's yeah, what he's great at. But still, fighters are very sensitive people, um, and no matter what, if uh, even with me, if I'm listening to a, a journalist talk and they're like, "All right, give me your predictions on the fight," if all of them think I'm going to lose, that's kind of negative, you know. But that's their opinion. It, it, it's okay to to think that. But um, I can see the sensitivity of fighters could take things as negative. I mean, if you're an underdog and you think you're going to be the future champion, anything negative is going to really hurt you in a different way. So, I don't know. I just think it's uh, 
It's just the nature of the sport. Everyone has an opinion, no matter what, even though their opinions might not be what you like, you got to respect it. Yeah, and also people talk about how a lot of different people make it into like, uh, the soap opera or pro wrestling. And it's like, but that's kind of part of why people enjoy the sport. Like yeah. Some of those things are why a lot of people want to watch is because of rivalries and because of feuds. It's just yeah. th- there's narratives. There's narratives like that in basketball. You know, like yeah. oh, LeBron left the Cavs. This is personal. Oh, a lot of it is all fabricated, and it's it's. I wouldn't say fabricated, but it's sensationalized to a, a real extent. Yeah, but and I think not, that it is here too. We're not looking at LeBron James how he attacks the, the layup and which hand does he use. Look at his elbow position when he goes for the layup. His hands. No, we just talk, call it a layup. We we yeah. know we don't. No, talk but a lot about of people will say that footwork. was a dumb shot. Yeah. I can't believe LeBron took that last shot. His guy was open. Why is he passing on the last? Whatever yeah. LeBron does at the end of a game is always like oh, cr- yeah. critiqued by somebody, even if he hits the shot. Oh yeah, They're like oh the coaches too. Yeah. How many times have you been in a live sport and everyone's like, "Why would the coach do that?" Like yeah. everybody's a coach when they yeah, exactly. watch, right? Everyone's a specialist. Everyone knows better than everyone. Else. I'm guilty of it too. I'm watching sports. I don't know. I was like, "Why would he do that?" I was like, <laughs> "Who knows why they did it?" You know. But uh, I think we're all guilty of it. But. Uh, I don't know. It's just sports. Everyone's going to have an opinion no matter what you do. You just got to have that, that thick skin. you know. So I don't know where Duffy's coming from, but I know Duffy personally, and I know he's a good, smart, intelligent guy, so something must have bothered him. Well, he's going to be on Helwani's show next week, I think, and we can hear a little bit more insight. I think Ariel will challenge him on the notions that he's, uh, he has about the sport, and I try to also. And the thing that I thought he was being really um, contradictory about was he was saying, oh, UFC is the prestige sport in the world. You know, it's the biggest sport, and you guys need to treat it that way. And I go, well, people who cover football are critical of the athletes, too. He goes, yeah, but that's an X's and O's sport. This is a fight. It's like, well, is it a sport or is it a fight? Like, you're, yeah. you're almost taking away from the sporting aspect by saying it's not an X's and O's sport. Because, mm-hmm. to me, the UFC might be one of the, like, in terms of X's and O's, might be at the very top. Oh, yeah. Because one thing, you know, one little mess up could be dire consequences for your life. Yeah. It's not just like it's brain damage. It's not just like a guy scores a goal or a guy gets a basket. Oh, you like, lost the season. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you lost, you lost the game. Well, yeah. you got 161 more, but boys, <laughs> let's keep going. And the yeah. thing is, those other sports are making millions of dollars. And- so, so to diminish it as an X is not being an X's and O yeah. sports, I think is actually you're being negative towards, this, yeah. towards the UFC. And towards I don't know MMA. what he's coming with on this, to be honest with you. I yeah. can't see where he's seeing the extra negative. Um, maybe, like I said, maybe someone was talking negative about him having a layoff and he was just maybe upset about it or I don't know. I didn't really, I don't understand where the, it's coming from, but something's stemming from it. Well, before we uh, move off this card, let's talk to the man himself, Tristan Connolly. Massive win against Michelle Paheja, biggest underdog on the card, takes the fight on four days notice and uh, gets a a, a very dominant win in a, a fight that most people I'm sure thought he was going to lose he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by a man who needs no introduction after an incredible win over Michelle Peheja over the course of the weekend, the biggest underdog on the card, fighting up a weight class. It is Tristan Connolly. Uh, Tristan, how's this week been for you? I mean, it's been uh, I've been seeing you everywhere. I've been seeing you on every single show and uh, it seems like you're really making the rounds. You know, how's this adjustment been? Uh, I I Bad, honestly, I'm. Uh, people always say, "Yo, you're so well adjusted to this. Like, you seem like you've been doing it forever." And it's like, well, yeah, I've been talking forever, and uh, I've been fighting for a long time. So, it's, you know, a little more talking, few more people watching. That's uh, that's the only big difference. <laughs> you know, we chatted at the weigh-ins uh, last week, and I had tweeted mm-hmm. after that saying that you know, having spoken to you, you would have no indication that you were an underdog or that you were fighting up a weight class. 
you just seemed so confident in your game plan and you were able to execute it to a T. What made you so confident that that was what was going to work? Uh, well, I, I, like I say, I've been fighting a long time. I, I, he's a young guy. I know how young fighters think. I've seen how he's fought. I knew what he, he was thinking going in. Uh, I knew I could draw him into wasting his energy the way he did. I, that was my plan the whole time, you know, and I, I was absolutely – I wouldn't have taken the fight if I wasn't absolutely confident that I'd beat him. So, I, I mean, it's, he, he's a bigger guy, stronger guy. Uh, I know how he fights. I, I know how to stay safe. I'm, uh, I'm not dumb. Uh, I went in there with a game plan, and I executed it, and it worked flawlessly. You have a really laid-back confidence just, just in your personality. Has, has that always been the case? Probably not. No, <laughs> uh, it, it's it, it's learned through experience, really. Like, you know, I, I'm I'm 33. I've been doing this for a long time. I've 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 realized how important confidence is in this. Like, obviously, when I was younger, I first started, I I doubted myself a lot more. Um, but it's just more through trial and error. I've, I've figured out how you know your mentality is the most important thing in this sport. Obviously, technique and physicality. And all those other things are very important, and you definitely have to have them on point. But the way I look at it is, at a high level, everyone has that. That goes also saying, if you don't, that's something you can work on. Anyone can work on being, you don't have to be the best athlete. You just have to be, at, you know, in, it's good, in fighting in particular, because there's so many variables within the sport. As long as you're in good shape, and anyone can get in good shape, uh, and, uh, and, and you've done every, all the right things you can do and you've you've taken the time to learn the moves that work for you and how to implement a system and a game that works for you those are things you have to do they're they're a requirement everyone can do those things it requires work and dedication and time if you think it's just going to come it's not you have to be dedicated and put the work in but like i said that goes without saying the thing that most fighters that are talented lack is the mental side of things. I've seen so many guys that have so much more talent than me. They're way more athletic they're, or more skilled, and they crumble under the pressure because they don't have the mental strength or the fortitude to handle themselves. Uh, and that's one thing where I pride myself. Like I, I, I won't break, I won't bend, I won't quit. Uh, I, I know that's what you have to do to make it in this game. And, you know, of course, that might not happen. You, I, I could have gotten knocked out right away. That jumpy knee, a prayer, throw that. That landed, I would have been screwed, you know. But you can't look at that. You can't focus on that because all it's going to do is affect you negatively. So it sounds dumb. But you have to be overly positive in your mind, like to the point of like stupidity, where it's like, I, I mean, you don't want to be arrogant and like not respect your opponent, but you guys got to be like, no, I know how to deal with this. I'm the best. Like you get little voices that creep up. You just tell them to you're like you shut them down right away. You're like, get that garbage out of my head. I don't want anything to do with it. So. You know, it's, it's overwhelming positivity in your head and belief in yourself, uh, and that's, that's what I pride myself in, and that's what separates me from the rest. Going back to early in your career, you started 5-5. Five and five. What changed? What was the thing that put you on the right track? I, well, part of it was because I was 5-5, five and five. because, you know, I learned a lot. 5-5, like five and five, you know, you got to dig a little deeper. Like, what, what, what was my 5-5? Five and five? I had five first-round finishes. And I had four decision losses and one loss where I, I actually won the first round and then I, I, I was suplexed with a Kimura and I landed on my shoulder and separated my AC joint. And I still fought through four minutes of the round with a separated shoulder. 
I didn't really know what was going on. I just couldn't lift my arm, but we were on the ground at that point. Uh, and then when I got up to go to my corner, my, uh, my shoulder, like, I don't know, it felt dislocated. I, I thought it was dislocated. I told my corner, hey, can you, like, you know, yank it back in like they do in the movies? And my coach, Jason Height at the time, was like, uh, no. Like, and he's like, you can't lift it? I was like, nope, not at all. He's like, yeah, I got to stop the fight. <laughs> so, um, uh, and actually, if you look at my record, it's wrong. For whatever reason, they said it was ended at the first round. It's at the end of the second round. So, other than that, like, I had four hard fights that I didn't get, like, killed or anything. I just wasn't smart enough. I didn't have to fight IQ. Uh, I fought hard. Um, I made it fight against more experienced guys most of the time. Uh, so, I learned a lot of lessons in those losses. A lot of lessons. So, after that, I just kept going, and I started taking harder fights because I kind of accepted that I wouldn't make the UFC. So there's no point in trying to find easy fights to make myself have my record. I just wanted to be the best fighter I could be. Uh, and I, you know, I loved coaching. I loved MMA. I knew this is what I wanted to be involved for the rest of my life. I don't want to do anything else. This is my absolute passion, my absolute love. And so I was like, look, give me the hardest opponents I can fucking find, and I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to fight them. And I just started winning, like, Besides Shane Campbell, I didn't lose after that. So, uh, and I finished all my fights until Ferreira. So, I, you know, I it just I just got better and better and better. My fight IQ went up and up and up. And, and coaching, training, and dedicating myself full time. You know, when my, my my students fight, I learn. When I teach them, I learn. I learn so much more about different styles and about uh, how different things can be utilized by different fighters and how to be aware of them and. It just, you know, like when you engulf yourself in this, like I have, like there's, there's, you're going to get good. There's no other way around it. You mentioned record padding. And if you look at the amount of fighters that have come into the UFC undefeated this year, so many of them have suffered a loss. Um, looking at your career prior to this, you only fought two fighters that had losing records. Um, both of those times you had a losing record yourself. How important is it for fighters when they're on the regional scene or before they come into the UFC to fight better competition. I know that you can probably get to the UFC faster by padding your record and, and being 8-0 or whatever it is, but you're a perfect example of somebody who gets there a little bit later in the game, but you do it the right way and you're able to deal with a guy like a Michelle Pajeja who's, who's you know, a lot of people believe to be a, a complete beast in the sport. Yeah, it's important, man. And I, I mean, I'm not saying to do it the way I did it, uh, but I definitely you need to be taking hard fights. I, like, I had no amateur fights, um, and that's something that like, a lot of my criticism is some, for some, taking some hard fights for some of my amateurs, and I'm like, man, I don't want them to get killed. I, I don't want them to go, but I want them to have hard fights as amateurs. I, I, I want them to lose a little bit. Like, I don't, but I do. I, I want to see how they handle it. I want to see how they dig through adversity. I want them to, like, I really want to see that in their amateur career, because if they crumble at an amateur level, Man, you're gonna have a lot harder time at the pro level, and you're in a harder time at the at the elite level. You know, so I want to see how you you handle that. I want to see how you handle it in a fight. I want to see how you handle the aftermath of losing, um, because you're gonna find out what you're made of at that point, and now you're gonna grow. And you're gonna learn those lessons. Like you don't you don't want to have that happen later on in your career. Like you say, how many guys go eight and zero, ten and one, they go to the UFC and they get crushed zero three don't even make it they get finished every single fight you you got to know what it's like to be in a shitty spot and losing and getting beaten up you gotta you gotta dig deep and uh important to learn that at an early level so you know definitely the amateur career 
early pros, I don't mind having my pros take a little bit of some easier fights early on, try and get the, you know, a few wins under the belt. But then, yeah, you got to start taking some chances, trying some harder fights a little bit. You know, that that's the way to do it, I believe. And like, don't, don't be in a rush to get in the UFC because that's not going to help you. You're a BC guy. Does the name does the name Cliff Ronning sound familiar to you? Not really, no. Okay, so here's a story. So he was uh, a hockey player for the Vancouver Canucks, and he knew the person who started EA Sports, and they made him this legendary player in NHL '93, like way better than he actually was as a player because he knew this guy. Oh. Now you work at EA yeah. Sports. Can they make? you in this UFC game and just make you a complete monster because you know these guys? I mean, you know, if somebody makes you not very good, you, you can knock on a couple doors there. But uh, I think that would be a yeah, fun thing. I, Since you know these guys, I get them to get them up your stats. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, but I'm good at now. Uh, they probably, that would be hilarious. I mean, I wonder if uh, the UFC would get mad at them for that, but um, I'm going to suggest it for sure now that you say it. <laughs> yeah, just mention the name Cliff Ronning. They'll know what you're talking about. Yeah, Okay. <laughs> So I learned from the athletic you were actually injured going into this fight. Uh, walk me through what had happened. I, I just I, I I had hurt my my hip, and uh, so it was I, I couldn't. The grappling was hard. Uh, it started to feel a lot better fight fight week, but like so for two weeks before I wasn't really able to grapple much. So I was doing some stri- uh, some some boxing. I couldn't kick much either. I was fine moving around on my feet, but. I, so I didn't really get that grappling cardio. When I started doing a bit during fight week, I was like, man, like I'm not really where I, I feel like I need to be. Like I'm always in good shape and I got great cardio normally, but I could be have way better cardio. Like for me, I was actually a little sloppy in the fight. I think because I was tired. I was tired. I should be able to put that pace and stay a little tighter. But um, you know, I mean, I'm sure that you know, I'm sure there's a point for this in the UFC too. Everyone's a little sloppier in the first time, but there was that. I also had like a four and a half round war a month and a bit before and I had cuts all over my face and so I you know I hadn't done much sparring like I, I my my timing wasn't but wasn't great there's a lot of things that weren't helping me I just I just said you got to be mentally not care about that and just go in and be like when you fight like I don't care uh, I always say I'm ready to die and ready to kill that's what you got to be when you step in that octagon and uh that's my mentality going in every time I approached you backstage after the event, and I said to you, you were on your couch six days ago. Now you've got uh, you know, $100,000. you got 20% of Pereira's purse. you got your win bonus. You corrected me and said you were working, so I, I, I apologize for that. But did the UFC ever call you and explain how, why they decided to give you both bonuses? Because that's not always commonplace. I, I haven't actually talked to the UFC, to be honest with you. I think they're kind of realizing I'm getting a little overwhelmed. I'm doing their, they know that I'm doing all this media stuff, and I know they're, I know they're happy with me. Um, but my, my management let me know that like, Hey, yeah, if you get fight of the night bonus, you get, you get the whole hundred grand. And I was like, or oh, you, you probably get the whole hundred grand. I'm like, I, I do like, I don't know for sure, but usually that's what, that would be the case. So he's like, I will find out, but you know, let's hope you get it. Right. With that in the back of your head, are you, are you sweating bullets when Justin Gaethje is walking out of the cage? <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. Even I was, I was like, man. So looking at Pereira, and I know how I fight, how I'm capable of fight. I knew I was going to fight him. I know how he fight. I'm like, man, I really think we're a strong, strong candidate going in, except for the fact that Cowboy and Gage are going. I'm like, there's no way we're beating them. Like, that's for sure going to be fight tonight. And then, uh, you know, I just went up to the, I, the green room. I actually, after the fight, they took me in the dressing room. They said, here, you got to wait because we're going to take you upstairs. So we're waiting there for like 20 minutes, and someone came in. Oh, you can go up to the green room, actually. 
and they took me up and uh, uh and at that point uh, people were like oh, oh we want fighters and everyone like John Cavney I was like oh, he's over here John Cavney wants a picture of you I'm like wait what isn't it supposed to be the other way around and so I'm going to get a picture and uh, Cowboy engage your fight and I look over for, and, and that's like that's when the Gagey knocked him out and I was like yes like yes I got the, and I think we really will get the fight of the night so um that, uh, that was the moment where I, I, my, my hopes skyrocketed. What can we learn about you that we don't know? You know, we know that you're, you train out of Vancouver. We know, what, what can we learn about you as a person? What kind of things are you into outside of fighting? Nothing, really. I'm, <laughs> I love, like I say, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, I don't do much else. It's 14 hours a day of my life is dedicated to this, and that's all I do. Um, I don't watch other sports. Yeah, I, I watch, I'll watch TV shows, but not a lot. I just watch shows on Netflix with my wife, and we'll go to a movie, we'll hang out. But other than hanging out with my wife, like, I have, I don't even see any of my other friends that aren't involved with this very often. Like, every once in a while, you know, I try and, and get together with them, but it's just, I, it's all I care about. I'm one, like, I'm so all into this. It's all I want to do. It's all I think about day and night. I don't think about anything else, and my brain's just hardwired for it. Before you got to the UFC, obviously you envisioned yourself being in this place at some point in time. Were there any opponents in the UFC, anybody that's in this lightweight division that you've, you know, visualized yourself facing in the future? I, I've been asked that over and over again, and not particularly. Like, obviously, whenever there's a lightweight fight, I'm thinking about both guys, like every single one of them, in a way, uh, but not one in particular. And people are like, oh, who do you want now? I haven't had a chance to stop and think. Like, uh, because everything happened so fast, the media is going like, I don't even know. I haven't even gone look at the roster right now. Like, I, I, I really like you. I would have liked, you. honestly, Cajun Johnson. If he was in the UFC, I'd like to fight him because everyone hates him in Vancouver. He's a piece of shit. Like, he's like the worst human being I've ever met in my life. So, I would love to fight him. So, I'd love for the UFC to sign him for one fight just so I could kick his ass and they can kick him out again. I wasn't expecting that answer. Well, what's what's the deal with Cajun? <laughs> I, I've only had good experiences uh, with Cajun. Uh, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I've already said uh, probably too much, and I, I don't want to get too much, but he's done a lot of really, really shady things. He's, he's just a backstabber. Uh, he hasn't done anything to me, but I've seen him do it to so many other people, so many close friends of mine that are such good people and work so hard, and he's just, he's the type of person that will make his life worse just to make your life a little bit worse. He goes out of his way ruin other people's lives and like ruin other people's lives like do things that people have worked their entire life for he will ruin his life to make sure that he brings that down just one notch so uh i i, I don't you, you can ask anyone everyone loves me i get along with absolutely everyone except that guy well i didn't think cajun johnson had a shot of being re-signed by the ufc because of all the stuff he did for unionization but maybe he does now after you've called him out I mean, uh, you, you know, I, that's why all the people are asking you uh, to name names. You know, we're just throwing the, the line out and hoping to, to catch a fish with a, with a call out from Tristan Connolly. Yeah, uh, you know, the only person I was thinking was, you know, Austin Hubbard. I thought he looked great on the card. I actually talked to him and I said, hey, man, you know, like, I think you would be a good matchup. Uh, but I know that uh, I just talked to him. He just had a surgery. He's, uh, he's actually st- he's still in Vancouver in the hospital. So he's like, you know, I, I'd love to, man, but I... I you know, don't wait for me because I'm probably going to be a bit. This I'm not going to be ready to go by the time you want to go. And I'm like, so he's out. Um, someone else said Kamal Worthy, but he's an Iridium guy. I don't want to fight an Iridium guy. 
unless I don't know if I can read him or a Canadian unless it's for a rank spot. I feel like, you know, Iridium's my family and Canada's my family. So uh, I, I, unless it's for, like, something that matters, there's enough other guys that they can match me up against. Yeah, before we wrap this up, I actually wanted to give kudos to Jason House from Iridium because, you know, a lot of agents are about self-promotion. This is just a guy who works hard. He keeps his nose to the grindstone, you know, kind of keeps to himself. He lets, he lets Ed deal with the media stuff. Um, but I, I really respect Jason. I've gotten to know Jason over the course of the last year, and uh, that's what I like about him is that he just works really hard for his clients and he doesn't make a big deal about it. Dude, he's unreal. Like, I can't believe how, uh, how awesome he is. Actually, when I, I left my old manager for him, my old manager... I don't have a bad thing to say about him. And, uh, my old manager, a guy named Will Hammond, was just, just he's an absolute sweetheart. He did so much for me, and he's he's amazing. He, uh, you know, he as soon as he found out I was fighting, he he lives in Kirkland. He's like bought tickets, got a hotel, drove up, came up to watch. Um, but you know, it came time that he didn't have the the pull that I needed. I met Jason uh, at Cole's fight, and I, you know, he, I right away like I didn't know who he was. He came up for dinner. He's like, sorry, you know, I. I, I, sorry, I'm late. I had two other dinners. I had two other guys in the car. I want to make sure I was there for everyone's dinner. And just the level of commitment that I had. I was like, man, who is this guy? What's going on? And they're like, yeah, that's Cole's manager that, that got him in. I was like, oh, cool. We just start talking and just a cool, cool dude, man. Like, the, just, you know, you, tear, you tell he genuinely cared about Cole. And then after talking to him, uh, I, was like, I, I had just taken a fight. Uh, on eight days notice in Vegas. And he's like, man, yeah, I'm going to be in Vegas. He's like, I'm going to be with Sean. I'm going to take him to your fight. Go to Vegas, and I see him before my fight in Vegas. He said, "Man, you know, I just want to say, uh, you know, I really, I really like you, like you, getting to know you here." And he's like, "I really want to work with you." So he's like, "You know, regardless of what happens after this fight, let's work together." And for one of the biggest, probably the biggest manager uh, in the name for just for me, coming, like, I haven't fought yet, and I'm fighting outside here. He's already saying, "You know, I want to work with you." And so it was, uh, it was awesome to hear that. Now, since I've seen what he's done for me. And the last little bit, like, I'm, I'm so happy to get that bonus, not first for me, but for him, because I'm like, I can actually give you some money that's worth your while, because the money you'd make for me otherwise is, you know, dropping the bucket, uh, it's, it, like, for the amount of work you did. So it's, it's awesome that I can, you know, actually give him something that he deserves the work he did. Yeah, you know, I spoke to Lewis Smoke after he won his fight. He's another Iridium guy. And he said that Jason, yeah, Jason was really instrumental to him becoming sober. Like, he had a lot of issues with alcoholism. He stayed at yeah. Jason's house. Jason saw that he had a problem, and they addressed it. And since then, he's turned his life around, and he's, he's gotten back on the winning track, got a second stint in the UFC. So, uh, again, that's just these are the little things that agents do for, for their fighters that I think are really important. Yeah, of course. Um, and like I said, like, I just, I, 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 I was saying, man, like, I don't think I ever, I've ever messaged Jason, like, day or night. He responds within 30 seconds every time. Like, he's just on top of it. But then when you're with him, he's, he's you know, he doesn't break eye contact. He's totally involved with you. I'm like, how is he responding to all these people? Yet, when he's with everyone, he's so involved. Like, he's just, he's a master of his, of his craft. He's so good at it. And uh, he's just on top of every little thing. Like, there's, there's, there's nothing missed with him. And, uh, I, like, I, you know, I, I'm set for life. I'm never going anywhere else. I'm, I'm with Jason at the end. And you mentioned Kama Worthy. I mean, it's such a similar situation to yours. He's the biggest underdog on the card, five days' notice. Yeah. Comes in, unfortunately, he beats an Iridium guy in the process. But it, still, he gets a great opportunity. And, uh, he was, you know, he was at a concert with his friends, you know, when he found out that this opportunity was available and uh, just able to capitalize on it that way. So, again, just really cool stories that, uh, that not a lot of people know who, what's going on behind the scenes. And I think that's cool that we got to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And 
right? That's why that's why people were sort of mentioning the two of us together because we have very similar stories uh, with coming in underdogs, winning uh, fights that no one thought we'd win. Um, so it, I think that's why people were talking about us and that being matched up. But and I was like, yeah, actually, I really like that fight. And then uh, you know, Jason and Ed were like, oh, he that'd be a good fight, but he's iridium. But like, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, well, if that's the case, then no. Like, I don't want that. I like if it's for a rank spot, great. We'll do it. You know, at that point, it, at, at ranking, when you're in the ranks, friends fight friends. That's how it goes. Like, you got, I'll fight. Like, I have friends I would fight in a heartbeat for a rank spot, and they'd fight me, and we, we'd hug each other, like, just like Cape Cowboy and Gazy, right? At that point, it's it's sheer competition, and we're, that's, we're not, we don't, we're not in this to beat each other up. We're in this to compete. Uh, and, you know, if I know some of my, my friends and training partners, they have the potential to get there. They are that good. So, if we both get there, awesome. Then we'll make it there. You know, we're doing it for something that matters, for something that matters for the rest of our lives. But outside of that, like, we why would we need to do that? There's there's enough guys outside of the division or outside of the rankings. Well, Tristan, it's been great getting to know you this past week in Vancouver, and uh, congratulations on all your success and, uh, you know, basically hitting lightning in a bottle and, and just rolling with it. And, I, you know, I, I really respect that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me. That was Tristan Connolly on the TSN MMA show. Very, very unlikely candidate for him to call out. Like Everybody's been trying to get this guy to call someone out all week, and he calls out Cajun Johnson, who's not in the UFC anymore, because I know this guy's not in the UFC, but I, I hate Cajun Johnson. Everybody in Vancouver doesn't like this guy. <laughs> yeah, oh. that, that caught me by surprise. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, I think he's happy just to be going down to his regular weight, and, I mean, uh, just a nice, positive guy all around. It mm-hmm. seems like he's a, he's a good mind to have in, in this game. Except for when it comes to Cajun Johnson, who he dislikes. He dislikes, yeah. He did something. <laughs> we haven't uh, spoken since UFC 242. You you weren't here last week. Yep. Um, so I want to pick your brain. I want to find out what you thought about Khabib versus Poirier. I know it's a little bit, you know, it's almost two weeks removed from it. Uh, so I, I apologize to those listening who think that this is um, some sort of, uh, you know, lack of recency or whatever. It's not really newsworthy. But I, I want to know what, uh, what Joe thought yeah. about it. That's what's uh, important to me. I think... It's what we all expected, to be honest, Aaron. I don't. Uh, I couldn't have seen it going any other way. Um, did you think Dustin would do better? Did I think Dustin would do better? No, to be honest okay. with you. I figured it was going to be that type of fight. Um, I just agree when I'm hearing a lot of people and a lot of the specialists like the Dominic Cruises and, and the DCs say, when you, the only chance you have to even compete with someone like Khabib is you had to have been wrestling from that young age. And no matter how good your striking is, no matter what is going to happen, Khabib just has that efficient maul you style where he's able to to get and close things down. Poirier just gassed. He lost all the, the, the strength. I mean, in that second round, we almost saw him get a shot in, but... I don't know. I oh. just think it's it's how we expected it. I didn't see it going any other way than that. It was difficult to watch him in the corner because he just like was bewildered. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> he had you know. no, no answers. And I mean, even when he got submitted, like he wasn't fighting the hands well. Like, I don't know. I mean, he even said uh, after the fight, like he made some, you know, jujitsu mistakes. Of, I mean, not fighting the hands well. He didn't even fight the hands at all. It was just really easy for Khabib to lock the choke in. Yeah. He also and, said he wasn't on that day too, which hurts. You know, like that that can yeah. that can happen. But I mean, from a striking standpoint, if you are going to fight Khabib, you have to. You can't throw. Basically, you can't throw two punches. Everything has to come off one punch. You got to hit and move, hit and move, in and out, hit and move. And I mean, I don't know why guys don't. 
you know, use that style. I know Khabib's going to walk through, but you just got to literally try to jab and move. That should be your whole first two rounds. Jab and move, jab and move, jab and move, jab and move. But guys sit there, they try to swing, and they try to hit them, and then they get always get stuck and grabbed and taken down. I mean, I just think stand-up, uh, the, the striking aspect, they ha- guys have to learn how to move a little bit better if you fight Habib. And I mean, that's why I think someone who would give Habib the biggest issues would be a George St. Pierre still. And I still strongly believe that because... GSP's ability to close distance with that jab is one of the best than ever. He'll jab you and move you from such a long range, and it's just so difficult to to see that. So that's where you kind of that GSP I think would give him the toughest fight in my eyes. Well, Dana White was asked about it after the event, saying, "Is it a possibility that you could have GSP versus Khabib?" And his answer was, "Sure, okay, sure. Well, I guess anything's possible, but yeah. I, I would say it's highly unlikely at this did, point." Did you think Poirier would have done better? Yeah, remember I had I picked him yeah. on the show. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't because I thought he was going to win necessarily. I just thought he was going to have a better shot than a lot of the opponents previous. And the the thing with Khabib is you you know I always go into fights saying oh, he hasn't fought the best guys and oh, yeah, all this stuff. And then you and this is another reason why I, I I'm against certain things in the ra- in the rankings is like people always look at level of competition, but they don't look at how they won. Like Khabib has never been in any trouble in any fight for the most part. I mean he he did get tagged a little bit by Michael Johnson, but. Like, but still, that's like what four or five fights ago now. Yeah, like, four or five I mean, fights ago, and it was like one one strike. You know, like it's Alec Quinta had a little success in the fourth round. If you want to even call it that, he hit him a couple times. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, I just don't know. Like Khabib is so dominant, and it's hard for me to picture somebody beating him. The only guy I can continuously picture beating him is Tony Ferguson. Yep. I know you, you mentioned you, GSP. you said that for a while. Yeah, and I, and I'll continue to say it, and I like because I think that Tony Ferguson is not going to be afraid of the takedown. Like yeah. he will, he will. Go for things. Like he will go for chokes. He'll go for triangles. He'll go for a But if you're pinned down and your arm is pinned behind you and you're mauled down like that, and I'm sure Khabib's been tried, you know, many jujitsu specialists have tried. So I bet you his submission defense is probably phenomenal. Yeah. So I the mean, training for Tony Ferguson's difficult. He's just yeah. so unorthodox. And I just think. From a striking standpoint, Ferguson's more of that pressure style, so it kind of leads into him being taken down. I think the biggest question is what is he going to do when he's on his back? Yeah, and Ferguson's wrestling is good. Like he's had and he's, a wrestling and he seems bigger too, yeah, right? He's he bigger, seems bigger. And he went to uh, Grand Valley State University, I believe, yeah. for wrestling. And it's not like he's going to be completely lost. Like, I hope for it. Like I'm, I don't want, I don't want to say, hey, I want Khabib to lose, but I also want someone to really challenge yeah, him. At that's least, exactly. You know? I like to at least see him get challenged. I want to see him get challenged. I, I, if he finishes undefeated, great. I'm happy. You know, I'm all for it. But I want to see him challenged. I want to see him in, in a little bit more trouble. I want to see him, you know, have to come back from some 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 things. You know. So I don't know, but uh, my still answer, I'm going to stick with GSP. But again, now GSP is getting older. He's approaching 40. Old school GSP, I, man, I think that was the, the the fight. I mean, if GSP would have fought him a, a while back, then I would have hands down GSP. Wouldn't have even been a thought, though. I mean, yeah. Khabib wasn't a champion back then. GSP was a, was basically retired. I'm just saying stylistically. But yeah, stylistically, you know? it would have been cool to see. It's always cool to kind of make up those dream matchups. Yeah. Uh, the BMF championship. we got uh, yeah. Diaz versus Masvidal. They're making a belt for this thing. Are they actually making yeah. a belt? The making UFC belt. itself. They're trademarked it. The UFC is making a belt. They're going to sell replica like belts. It. That's what I wanted to ask you about. So we've got like a press it. conference tonight at uh, in New York at the uh, the top of ESPN's new uh, facilities uh, n- near Brooklyn, near the Brooklyn Bridge. But um, yeah, the BMF. What do you think of, about Cheesy. this? 
Like, what happens if you you were the champion, you were the welterweight champion of glory? Yeah. What happens if they were like, we're going to have a fight between Mark DeBont and Nikki Holskin to, to decide who the BMF of the uh, welterweight division is while you're the but champion? But every other fighter is going to be like, I'm the baddest man on the planet, not yeah. you. Why? Just because you have some street cred that makes you the baddest man on the planet? Like, eh. I don't know. It's a little cheesy for me. Like the, the thing I like about it is that they're not taking everything so seriously. You know, I think the UFC does need to be a little bit more laid back when it comes to tournaments, when it comes to the fun stuff that is what made MMA what MMA is. You know, the old UFC style tournaments, the old stuff in Pride with the open weight, like all that kind of stuff, and also headlining pay per views with a non title fight to yeah. me is crucial. Like I love it. I I think I would love to see more inter interdivisional super fights that don't have a title on the line headline pay per views. Uh, Fights that we would like to see happen between, you know, like what happens if like Ferguson moves up to 170 and fights Ben Askren or something. You know, like those kind of fights I think are cool. Even yeah. though there's not a whole lot of stakes, if, if there are fighters that are right now, you know, on the shelf that are have to wait for a title fight to, to happen, I'm all for seeing yeah. cool fights like that. But I think putting a belt on it no, is, I don't is like weird. It. No, I, lo I love the, if it's an unofficial title around it, but to actually have it a is unofficial. It's not like a real belt. It's not going to be defended. It's a one-night thing. Oh, it's just a one-night belt? Yeah, it's belt like a tournament trophy them? almost. It's going to be a belt. Yeah. I would have liked a trophy. Like, I think if you give somebody a trophy, yeah. man, I don't think people get as offended. Yeah. But when you bring belts into it... Yeah, it's, you think champion at that point. Yeah. I, I honestly wouldn't mind, okay? And I kind of pitch this to glory. And I don't think it's a terrible idea. Um, especially, it works a little bit better in kickboxing because the gap between... North American fighters and the Europeans seems to be pretty big. And, I mean, we don't have as much experience. We don't have the talent. We don't have as many gyms. So I always I wouldn't mind the wrestling style and have your, your, your North American champion. What's wrong to have a North American champion? What's wrong with having a European champion and having a world champion? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm for that as well. But, it's a th little but then bit you do it, what, for every weight class? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of belts. It is, but I mean, it's who cares if you have the the world title and then you have the North American title. But could you be the North American and world champion at the same time, or do you like vacate the North American title? No, then the you'd become champion? the world champion. Then they they put it someone else for the North American. Okay, because yeah. like right I now we fine. have like guys like uh, in Glory, Troy Jones, Charles Rodriguez, Mike Lemay. There's so many really, amazing North American fighters that really do it will in never UFC, really though. do it. Like they they couldn't really do like an Asian champion of the division, or, or call it something else like. Um, it doesn't have to be like a, a North American or, but I don't know. The intercontinental title? Something like, like that. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. If you're going to do anything, not. But then what does it mean? Well, it still gives those guys who will never fight for a world title something to do, which is 90% of the I roster. But who are those people? Like, Would it be just for unranked and then you, if, if you win this title, now you're like in the rankings? I don't know. I don't know. Early it's thought. A, I mean, it, it is an early it, thought. Say, it that's why I'm saying to, it works well for kickboxing. Bit. Yeah. Just because, I mean, 90% of the roster will never fight for a title, and they just keep chasing the dream. You know, of, oh, I'm going to win the world title. Hey, let's be honest. 95% of you, if not more, will won't, never won't even have compete one. for it. Yeah. yeah, you won't even compete for it. So you're just going to keep chasing this dream. If there's some sort of – it doesn't have to be regional-based, but maybe there's something else. But to say you're the baddest man, everyone – if you're a fighter fighting in the UFC, you're a pretty bad man to me. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a badass to me no matter what. That's why I don't like when people boo stalemate fights. Is it boring? Yeah. Should we be booing them? Probably not. Hey, I paid good money to boo that guy. Yeah. That's what I paid for my ticket for. I know. So I can show my dis disrespect. Yeah. That, that's know. always the mindset of the uh, the, the people that, that buy the tickets. Yeah, I paid for entertainment. I should be booing.
Yeah, let's go fight. Yeah. You go fight. Yeah, exactly. Why yeah. don't you get in there, buddy? Let's go there. Yeah, there's <laughs> exactly. a reason why you're yeah. paying for the yeah. ticket. Take off right? your take off your Ed Hardy shirt and get in get on yeah. in there. Ed Hardy shirt. I haven't heard that yeah. one in a while. You know that was uh, <laughs> that's more old school. That's there like, you go. You can say, say your affliction, affliction shirt. Your affliction yeah, exactly. shirt. Your old school tap out shirt. Yeah. Your Jesus never tapped shirt. Remember Jesus yeah. never oh, tapped. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a that's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. Gotta bring those back. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> what, what what's that company up to now? Jesus one. never tapped still to sell shirts. I have to I have to go to my parents' house and find some of my old shirts. And one day I'm just gonna surprise you with like an old, ridiculous MMA shirt. Yeah, well, we should give them away as prizes for people to listen to the show. <laughs> you enjoy Joe's, Joe's previously warm Jesus never tapped shirts. Yeah. I I don't think I had a Jesus never tapped <laughs> one though. I had a lot of affliction, but Did never you? Jesus. Do you still never have tapped. them? They're at your parents' house. Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, we yeah. should for sure give them away. I guess. Why? I can't wear them anymore? What if they come back? It's well, a style. Then, then somebody else will have gotten a great gift from the show. <laughs> That's they'll, it. They'll, they'll, they'll be very grateful. That's funny. Yeah, we should go. go next time you're at your parents' house, bring back one shirt and we'll, we'll give it away on the show. I'll be down for that, yeah. I'll mail it to so I can mail it to a lucky there fan. There you go. I'm into it. Whoever gets the most people to subscribe to the show and show go. us proof, we'll give I'll them, a, find, we'll I'll give find them a an old affliction one. show previously worn by... Uh, I think I have an old school GSP affliction, maybe. There you go. May, or maybe I gave that one away. I gotta find it. I gotta. <laughs> yeah, I like, like David Loiseau. Uh, that <laughs> would be short. pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Someone. Uh, I, oh, one of my friends just posted a picture. I'm like, where did I see it? My friend uh, uh, Terry Friendo runs uh, inside. Your friend Friendo. Yeah, my friend Friendo. <laughs> uh, my friend Terry Friendo. He actually, uh, it's uh, he owns the magazine Inside Fitness, Canada's biggest fitness magazine. Oh, wow. And, um, he's been a longtime friend of Loazo, and I just saw him post a picture. So cool. Loazo's you get, been on you my get mind. me into Inside Fitness magazine? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, cool. There you go. Why not? Yeah. What do you want to do? The cover model? What are we doing? I don't know. Like maybe like a supplement ad. There you go. Yeah. Before and after, yeah. then we'll just genetically modify it. Ico Pro or something along those lines? Yeah, we'll find some. You know what Ico Pro is? Do you get that reference at all? No. It was the uh, the WWE branded uh, supplement from like the, the 90s that oh. Lex Luger used to promote. There we go. Yeah. Ico Pro. So bring the Slim Jims back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Snap into a Slim Jim. All right. So uh, let's go to our next guest, uh, Jeremy Stevens, main event of this weekend's UFC Mexico City card, himself versus Yair Rodriguez in the featherweight division. Uh, Jeremy hasn't won in some time. His last win was February of 2018, looking to get back in the win column against Yair Rodriguez. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm now joined by Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens in the main event of UFC Fight Night in Mexico City this weekend against Yair Rodriguez. So, Jeremy, you've been in Mexico for quite some time, uh, training at Elevation. Uh, tell me about how that all came together. I know you're training with Teco Quinones and some of uh, his teammates as well. Yeah, uh, Teco is from Sacatecas, and uh, it's high altitude over there. It's like 8,500 feet elevation. Uh, you know, I just trusted my coaches. They said they were going to put me out here uh, for, for several weeks, so I just trusted them, and uh, we went into a beautiful place in Sacatecas, and it's just a truly amazing uh, city. And there's so much uh, history, and, and it's so classic. Like, you know, they're not, they're not allowed to change the buildings. Like, everything's kept as back in the day as, like, Pancho Villa, so it just has so much history of fighting there. And uh, they opened the doors for us, man. I literally feel like part of their family in Sacatecas. And it's, uh, it's been an amazing journey, especially at this late in my career. You know, it's something new, something uncomfortable. And uh, I just really been embracing it. Yeah, it seems like there's a really strong team feel and brotherhood. Uh, from the pictures that I've seen on Instagram, it seems like everybody's getting on great. Um, I know that uh, Angela Lee is there, or Angela Hill, rather, is there with you, your, uh, your teammate. And uh, Sajara Eubanks is there. Who else is, is there training with you guys? Uh, you know, not to mention the coaches that have taken times, out of, you know, and came down and, and, and times away from their wives, their families. 
Uh, you know, I got my coach, Miguel Reyes. I got uh, one of my good uh, training partners, Tonga. And he just multiple people, man. I mean, it's, it's basically like everybody's been saying that there's nobody at Alliance really right now. And uh, the whole camp's down here. It's, it's been amazing. You know, it's good support to have, have them here, but uh, also meeting uh, new people here in Sacatecas who just opened up the, uh, the doors to the whole city. You know, I met the El Presidente, the mayor of Sacatecas. Uh, you know, I have, like I say, I have a new uncle. We call him Theo. Uh, Hector Galvez has been out there. Boxer has been a longtime friend of Teco Quiones. And, uh, you know, thank, thank for Teco for uh, introducing us to these people, man. It's, it's been amazing. And uh, having the family here. What's it like training at, at such a high elevation? Is there anything that's uh, that, that stands out as a major difference? Uh, you can feel it in the lungs a little bit. It's like uh, being suffocated for you know two three days. I, I had a little bit of uh, uh, to deal with that, but other than that, it was just uh, more or less the most thing was just the recovery. Uh, right as I got into Sacagawea, I, uh, I left at one in the morning. In uh, Tijuana, I arrived in Sacagawea to like six in the morning. I had just a little light breakfast, and I went and ran ninety minutes. And uh, within like two three days, after kind of training and stuff like that, I could really feel my legs weren't recovering as well. There's no no oxygen. People were like, "Hey man, what should I bring uh, down there if you need anything?" I'm like, "Yeah, bring some oxygen, thanks." Uh, but uh, other than that, man, we uh, we got the rehab that we needed. We flushed everything out, and within the first week, I was already adjusted. How important is this training camp to you? I mean, you're 33. You've uh, you've lost two in a row, but of course, you're you're still considered one of the top featherweights in the world. But is this like a make or break camp for you, in your opinion? Uh, I don't do camps, man. Maybe when I was younger, I did camps, but I do this in life now. Uh, I stay active. I'm running. I'm swimming. Uh, I'm dancing. I'm doing hot yoga. You know, I'm 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 an active. Uh, I'm a lot more active than I than I was younger, and I'm in a lot better shape. I'm with a lot more experience. And just, uh, it's a lifestyle, bro. Uh, the only thing different was that we just kind of had to come out here and do some training in high altitude. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like Tony Ferguson, Nate Diaz, like all of these guys don't believe in fight camps anymore. It's just, this is this is it. <laughs> and that, that's the mentality that you're taking on from here on out? Yeah, it's the mentality that I've been taking on, you know, uh, way back in the day. You know, people were like, oh, what's, what's, uh, what's a training camp look like? And I go, bro. This is a lifestyle for me. It's, it's so embedded into my DNA and into the way that I approach life and the way that I uh, am a father. You know, I, I just bust my ass 24-7. You know, there's no such thing as a fight camp. Um, I'm ready 24-7 all year round, and uh, ask anybody who knows me. I stay savage 24-7. I spoke to Nate Diaz back at the, at the last event he competed at, and, um, you know, he was talking about how it's really a sense of pride for him that he's been there before a lot of the fighters and after a lot of the fighters that have come after him. Um, you're in that exact same group. Um, you've been around for a long time, and it feels like your star just continues to rise, even though you're on a bit of a skid. Like, do, do you feel the same way? Like, y- your star power has just never been higher, and that people uh, have have more respect for you than they ever have. Oh, uh, wait till I knock out uh, Yair Rodriguez in highlight fashion. They're going to be screaming my name. I'm going to be turning heads. You know, uh, I've been 17 years in the game. Seven, I've been fighting since I was 16 years old. You know, I'm not like any of these other chumps. You know, I'm, I'm up there with the Masvidal's, the Diaz's. I literally fought for everything that I have with my own bare hands. I'm talking about my school, um, my kids' school clothes, their, 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 their softball stuff, you know. Everything I got in my house, my cars, my groceries, everything's from my bare hands. I'm a real one. And uh, come, come Saturday night, you know, 
I'm uh, I'm fighting a little kid he's amongst a man, a really really vicious man. So uh, this is just what I do. I love this sport. I love fighting. I love the opportunity that I get to fight here in uh, Mexico. Uh, my roots are here. You know, my my, my daughters are, are Mexican. My wife's Mexican. You know, these are the things that I have back home and and. In my in my house, it's part of my culture. But to actually be here in Mexico City to uh, out highlight, outwork, outclass, and embarrass the young kid, it's going to be great. And my 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 money's going to rise as long as my star power. Do you feel like you're getting him at a good time? I mean, that last fight that he had with Chan Sung Jung, he got hit a lot. And there's a you know no disrespect to the Korean Zombie, but there's a difference between getting hit by him and getting hit by you. You said it best, bro. You know everybody. Uh, Everybody I fight, you know, the way that I lose is just by these little bullshit, like, split decisions, you know, that that, that could have really went my way. Uh, you know, no one's ever out-dogged me. No one's ever, no one's ever really just put it on me or picked me up and threw me down like Frankie Edgar did him. You know, he's, he's a young kid. You know, I have a lot of experience in the game. He started off when he was, like, what, 24, 25 years old? I, I, I've been in the UFC and competed at a high level since I was 21 years old. You know, and I'm still here. Ask yourself, how how the fuck is Jeremy Stevens still in the game? It's because of my mentality. It's because I'm smart. I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a dumb fighter like uh, Korean Zombie. His name is Zombie. All he does is walk forward, and it costs him. I'm a lot smarter than that, and I'm going to prove it Saturday night. You trained with Tony Ferguson for this camp at, at Big Bear. I won't call it a camp anymore. You just recently trained with Tony Ferguson. Uh, what's the strangest thing that you did with him? You know, uh, Tony Ferguson's a very unorthodox guy, and I'm sure that there's a lot of things that you learned from him that perhaps you, you'd never thought of before. Uh, just, you know, not to give it any details, but his footwork, uh, the way that he approaches the game, uh, I learned a lot from Tony. I wouldn't say anything probably different. I mean, because we're kind of similar. You know, uh, you know, my teammates call me crazy. You know, they... You know, they, they look at me like I'm some uh, weird animal. They know that I train, I train hard, that I train smart, that I'm, I'm, I'm constantly doing stuff. You know, so that's really nothing out of the normal for me. You know, to me, crazy's uh, sitting on your ass and not doing nothing with the opportunities that you got. That's crazy to me. You know, I'm a multiple uh, knockout uh, artist, uh, multiple bonus winner, uh, most fights in UFC uh, up there within the top three. You know, so what's what's really crazy? You know, I'm training with Tony Ferguson, who's an amazing uh, guy at footwork and volume and crazy elbows and can push a pace. Yeah, you can't push a pace that Tony Ferguson is. He can push a quarter pace. Uh, so to train with him and to hear that I'm already in great shape, and that was six weeks ago. You know, now I'm training in altitude. Imagine that. You know, and uh, there's, there's really just an, uh, no more talk to be talked. You know, I can't wait to get in there Saturday night and just uh, embarrass this kid. I'll point him. It's nothing personal. It's here for business, and I'm here to win. I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around learning footwork from Tony Ferguson and from Dominic Cruz. I mean, those are two of the best encyclopedias you can draw from. You said it best right there, but man, D. Cruz and and uh, Tony Ferg, El Kukui, you know, who's better than that? One last thing I want to ask you about is the uh, the Belangi group. They're uh, representing you now. They just signed uh, Colby Covington recently. It seems like a ton of fighters are being managed by them and are, are jumping ship to, uh, to Belangi group. Um, you know, fighters like Ioana and Jacek, Curtis Blades. What's the big selling point with signing with them? It seems like they've pretty much come out of nowhere and they're starting to rep some of the biggest names in MMA. Yeah, of course. Well, for one, they're professionalism. Number two is that they're not taking any percent of my money that I've already earned. Uh, number three is I don't I don't sign this big long contract or this and that. I can terminate at any time. 
and they just show up. They are who they are. Uh, they basically pick me up with nothing. You know, they're not getting any of my, my fight pay. You know, if, uh, if anything, that's just incredible. You know, that's, that's the way the game should be. I've, I've been in here for 12 years. So how, how is a, a company going to come pick up 12 years' worth of my money for a percentage and ain't even bringing in shit? You know, right as I signed with uh, Bellinger Group, I immediately got, got sponsor money. You know, I've, I've been in the game real deep. And uh, they just show up. They put in work just like I put in work in, uh, in fighting. They show up on the outside, and they, they, they work for me. And uh, they're, they're genuine. Uh, I've had multiple uh, conversations and sit-downs and dinners. And I've, I've reached out to multiple, uh, multiple people, and they all wanted a piece of my pie that I've already earned. You know, and these guys were straight up, straightforward, strict with business and, and uh, friendship as well. And uh, they're amazing people to work with. Can't say enough good things. I basically got a man crush on them. <laughs> so to clarify that, though, they don't take a percentage of anything? Like, if you were to sign with a new agent, they'd want a percentage of your previous earnings? No, they, they, no let me clarify. They're not taking a percentage of the money that I already have now. So the money that I make now, that's mine. They, didn't, they haven't renegotiated any of my uh, contract. I have a couple fights on the contract. Uh, but they, take, they only take 10% of uh, my sponsorships. So they're basically picking me up for, for sponsorships as of right now. The fact that they've uh, they've reached out, they've talked to me, they've they've uh, they've showed me their work just through through action, and the fact that they're they're not taking anything out of my money as as, as so far, I mean that's that's common sense, don't you think? Yeah, that's pretty unbelievable. So if you if you have three fights left on this contract, they don't take anything until the next contract. Is that what you what you mean? Nada, nada. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, well, Jeremy, thank you for this. I appreciate it, and. Um, you know, I look forward to seeing you compete this weekend. This is going to be a great fight yourself. Yeah, you Rodriguez in the main event. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Aaron. I really appreciate it, bro. That was Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. And uh, I don't know if you agree with me, Joe. I said to him that he's one of these guys that, as he gets older in the sport, similar to a Masvidal and a Diaz, yep. his popularity just seems to grow. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he keeps saying, he's like, um, I heard him say he's 17 years in the sport has taken so many big risks. So he's one of those guys I hope to see him, you know, get some, get a nice big fight. He deserves it, you know. He deserves like a nice, you know, hopefully one day a title shot, a world title shot. But he's one of those guys I hope can climb that before it's a little too late because he, he deserves it. He's the featherweight BMF. We should do our BMFs for every division. There you go. Yeah, he would be. Let's pull let's pull this up. We're yeah, gonna do, he's an OG I'm going to do my BMF. Sure. Pull up UFC rankings. Let's go Let's go division by division and pull Who's up our, our I like BMFs. That. I like that. All right. Let's, let's start see. with the, uh, the men's flyweight division. We're doing this on the fly, ladies and gentlemen, so let's this see. isn't like a, some sort of planned radio segment that we've put together where we have sound effects and drops. The winner of the flyweight we BMF should. title is... I, I think I'm going to give it to somebody actually who's on this card. Uh, for the flyweight BMF title, I'm going to go with Brandon Moreno. He's just a tough guy. Yeah, he's young. Mm. He always, always uh, comes forward. Ryan Ryan Benoit's another BMF, but I'm going to go with uh, Brandon Moreno for the flyweight. The division. flyweights are hard. There's, there doesn't yeah. seem to be any. Figueredo actually might be the real. That's BMF. who I was thinking. Yeah. That's <laughs> I, I was just thinking yeah. that. That's who what he's, my pick would have been. Yeah. yeah. So I, if That's you do Figueredo pick. versus Moreno, I don't know if they've actually fought before. I don't think they have. Yeah, Moreno had a tough upbringing too, and is like more of a yeah. street guy. Yeah. Let's see. I'm gonna say has, has he fought for great? No. So that's gonna be the uh, and Pantoja's a pretty. He's a BMF also, but I think the BMF next BMF championship for uh, the flyweight would be uh, Brandon Moreno versus Davis and Figueroa. Now let's go to bantamweight. Uh, BMF of the bantamweight division. I mean, Song Yadong is kind of a badass, but uh, Cody Garbrandt. 
I think he's probably he's probably the BMF of uh, the bantamweight division. Also, a I don't, tough I, upbringing. I don't mind tough guy. Likes to sling. I don't mind honestly. I'm gonna call it out. Uriah Faber. Uh, he's a nice guy, but look what he's done. Like the, I don't the, know if he's a BMF though. He smiles. He's too, too much. nice. He doesn't have like a scowl. But are we he, talking he about, about like fights? You're looking at more of like looks I'm looking and at like street tough. Yeah, street yeah, tough. personality. Doesn't care. Talks trash. Aljo, Aljo, nah, he's a little bit more flashy, positive, nice. Marlon Marais is a tough guy, but I don't know if he's he's the BMF. I'm gonna go with Garbrandt. That's my final answer. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not a bad pick. Featherweight. I think Jeremy Stevens is the BMF of featherweight. Yeah, I think it's that's a tough one to uh, to go with anybody else. So you can go with like maybe the Korean Zombie or or even Aldo because of Aldo's upbringing. Yeah, Aldo's pretty gangster. He's got, there. he's got the scar. Yeah, yeah. Aldo's pretty. He's gangster. beaten Stevens also. Yeah, you might need to rematch that with a BMF title. Uh, lightweight, like uh, BMF of the lightweight division. Uh, Justin Gaethje might fit that bill. Anthony Pettis, but I mean, he's more of like in ring, in ring. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he in has ring. Like, he, he does, does, I don't he does know have about like his a, outside yeah, game. He does have like a social work degree. Well, you got to maybe Conor McGregor with yeah, all this could, stuff that he's be, doing. Con- could be Conor actually. Yeah, <laughs> think about it. Yeah, yeah. think about it outside the cage. I'm trying to think of people that aren't ranked. Maybe there's, there might be somebody That's, who's not ranked that uh, that gets that 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 title. But uh, yeah, maybe you can go Connor. Dustin Poirier didn't have the best upbringing either, but uh, he also gives lots of money I'm sure to charity. Edson Barboza, Connor gives some to charity toughness. also, but yeah, but yeah. Connor with actual Edson Barboza is a good one too. Yeah, Barboza could be fun. All right, we already know who the welterweight competitors are because they're fighting at MSG. What about middleweight? Middleweight BMF. Hmm. Yeah, with Romero? Like, no. I don't know. The maybe, Cuban maybe style. Romero. Yeah, I could go. From, I could from get the Cuban that. streets yeah. to like became, going into the Olympian. wrestling program to become the Olympian. Yeah. Probably had no money growing up. If Bisping was still active, he'd probably be the BMF. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah. <laughs> now he's wearing suits. He's doing commentary. He smiles, smiles. all the time. You can't remember. You have to think back to Bisping in a, at his heyday. When he was spitting it at, at the yeah, corner of, of, of former opponents when they uh, the trash when they were trash talking him and got too personal. Who was he? Uh, that was um, with GSP. He got even with GSP. He yeah. got in his. I'm face talking about and... that was Jorge Rivera is the one I'm thinking of. Mm. Uh, light heavyweight, BMF. I don't know. Tiago Santos maybe. Uh-huh. I mean Glover's kind of a he's he's more of an old school guy. What about a I mean Rampage Jackson school, is probably old like school the real Shogun was yeah. a bad man. I, I would go with like I would go with like Rampage I guess if I had to go back like back if, in time. If I had but, to go back, I'm going uh, Shogun. Yeah, but judging by the top fifteen, I mean you can go with Shogun now. You're I talking mean. about a young kid with no experience going to Japan and yeah, jump kicking people in the face and like <laughs> yeah, man, true. Shogun was pretty. That's, ga- that's a gangster right there if All I've right. ever seen. Okay, one. well I'll, I'll give you that one. That's fine, Shogun. And now let's go to a heavyweight. The heavyweight division. Are we doing women's divisions BMFs? I don't know. We can I try. mean, there are lots of BMFs in the women's division, too. I'd go with Joanna at strawweight, but uh, let's go with heavyweight for a quick second. I mean, Francis is a pretty bad man. <laughs> he's not, like, he's not yeah. like a trash talker or anything, but, man, he hits hard. Overeem is, was pretty. Yeah. Overeem could be bad. one. Yeah. Overeem could be one. I mean, your guy, the crochet boss, is ranked now. But, yeah, uh, I saw that. He's all hyped about that. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe, yeah, Overeem could, is I don't mind Overeem. Francis, I mean, look at what Francis did to people. Though he's almost like murdered people. Like even a young Overeem to just go in and fight the yeah, names anybody. and the sizes yeah, of true. people he did. Yeah, okay. Or, I don't know. I'll give you Overeem. That works. But I mean, just because he's so nice outside of the ring now, That's the tough part. So right? it makes it tough, you know. Yeah. Because everybody's nice. As a martial artist, you're usually a nice guy. Yeah. But uh, you got to look at the street cred mixed with fight style. 
I'm sure Kane Velasquez is pretty tough. Yeah, I'm going Joanna for strawweight. Just her, her like her, her swag is just like it's unparalleled. Yeah, I can see that. She's extremely nice, but I mean, she's just like, you know, she's tough. Yeah, Rose is a little nice. And flyweight, you might even have to just go with Valentina because she's so much better than everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who else there would be. And then for the the bantamweight, Jermaine's so nice. And you might just have to give it to Nunez also. Yeah, she is she's pretty so badass. Tough. Yeah. And the stuff so that tough. she had to overcome and just being like a, you know, a gay fighter and Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She went through Locked a lot there. of stuff. Yeah, and then you. I'd give it to Nunes. You give it yeah. to Nunes because she's the only person in the division. By default, she's by the default BMF. she gets it. Yeah, she's like the BMF and and like belt two championships and the the third BMF title. She got she's like the triple C of women's yeah. MMA now. So based on your definition of uh, the baddest, it might be the the welterweights. Yeah, oh yeah, pound? definitely, definitely. Pound for pound, those I think you've are the two. Go with the welter- because you've also got like guys like Ponzinibbio in the division as well. Like you know, we've got yeah. some some tough guys in that division. And Robbie Lawler, you know, like yeah, it's, yeah, Robbie Lawler. All right. Well, now that we've named our BMFs, why don't we uh, take a look at uh, this card? UFC Mexico City, headlined by Jeremy Stevens, Yair Rodriguez, and uh, that's a that's a solid uh, solid fight. Yeah, I that's like it a great a lot fight because th- you got you know the young up and comer against the guy who's like kind of the gatekeeper of the division right now. Yeah, I like. Um, I, I think it's a good matchup, especially since Stevens is coming off a fight against Zabit, where you have to pressure fight if you're going to beat Rodriguez, you have to pressure fight. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jeremy Stevens win this fight. I think, given that it's a five round fight, I think Stevens ha- will have more of a chance to win this yeah. fight. Um, you know, I, I think back to like you mentioned his fight with Zabit. But also, yeah, your fight with Korean Zombie, like he was getting tagged in that fight. Yeah, he and got it, hit and quite a if bit. If you get hit by Jeremy Stevens, it's a different kind of thing. And, I mentioned that in the interview with Jeremy. And and Yair was losing the fight until that elbow, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, he was going to lose that fight yeah. up until that. So elbow. I mean, and and Jeremy Stevens, like when he fought Zabit, I thought he was going to get destroyed. Yeah, I think a lot. Of people I did thought it. he was going to get destroyed stylistically, but the toughness, his ability to come forward, I think he catches Rodriguez. He's been, I, I think, think, living in Mexico it. for two months in like yeah. a very high altitude. Training like, with Ferguson, eh? Tony yeah, Ferguson. He, he went to Big Bear to train with Ferguson, then he moved, went over to Mexico. Yeah, and his camp, like he's, you know, Angela Hill's on this card as well, uh, and I think that um, uh, Sajara Eubanks also got involved, and they they teamed up with uh, Teco, who's on this card, uh, Jose Quinones, his camp. And they've been training up at altitude there, so that's uh, that's cool to see. Yeah, it's pretty fun to see. But yeah, I think uh, don't be surprised if Jeremy Stevens and the co-main Esparza versus Grasso. I, I love this fight just from a stylistic standpoint because I think that as long as this is on the feet, Grasso has a great shot of winning this fight. Like she's, I think, a much better striker. But Esparza, I mean, we saw what happened when Grasso faced Tatiana Suarez. Like she was getting taken down at will. Yeah. And Esparza, I think, is like the second great. best grappler oh, in yeah. the division. Her, her takedowns are phenomenal. So this is one of those fights where. Like I think it could go either way. It just depends on who dictates the, where this fight takes place, and, um, and I think that's kind of an obvious thing to say, really. But I'm not, you yeah. know, I'm not breaking any news here. But I think that that's why what makes this so interesting is I just don't know how it's gonna end yeah. up. And it's, especially with Carla, like I mean, I find she gives us like she's not really consistent. Sometimes she'll have this dominant performance, and then we see her kind of, um, you know, have a weaker performance. So I think it's also the type of Carla that comes out for sure. And we've got the, the debut of Askar Askarov. The uh, ACA, I think he was the uh, ACA champion, was it? Or ACB champion? The Russian Yeah, he champion. was the ACB champion uh, at, uh, at uh, Flyweight. Uh, he just gets, he's just very, very crafty with his submissions. And, uh, 
you know, I think that Brandon Moreno is he's just gonna like he's he's a tough guy too. And uh, when you look at Moreno and and what he's what he brings to the table, like he's he's been choked out by Pantoja before, but that's like, Pantoja is a phenomenal grappler. So I don't know. This is gonna be a really tough one to do. And I know that he's been doing grappling belts before. He's been doing combat jujitsu, Brandon Moreno. So I actually might lean Moreno, even though Askarov is uh, is ten and zero. Yeah, I, I think that as Moreno gets older, we're just going to see a more and more impressive uh, Brandon Moreno. And we've seen him, you know, he's, Askarov's fought good competition, so this isn't like a guy with a padded record either. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. Uh, I need to see more of Askarov when we see him. I'm looking forward to that one. Also looking forward to Tyson Nam versus Sergio Pettis. So Tyson Nam uh, should have been in the UFC years ago. He beat, um, uh, what's his name? The uh, the champion at Bellator 135. I don't know why his name is escaping me. I just I'm I'm t- going to talk to Tyson Nam about this in 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 moments when we yeah, play yeah. the interview with him. It's one of those brain farts that I'm having. But uh, Eduardo Dantas. So he fought Eduardo Dantas overseas outside of Bellator. Bellator let uh, Eduardo wanted to stay active. Tyson Nam fights him overseas, beats him, and Bellator were pissed off and wouldn't let anybody else sign Tyson Nam. They never had Tyson Nam fight, but they owned like some sort of clause where they had his rights for a year and a oh. half. And the UFC wanted to sign him, and he blo- And this was pre pre Scott Coker. This was with uh, Bjorn Rebney, and they blocked Tyson Nam from joining the UFC. And this was like what seven eight years ago, mm-hmm. like when Tyson Nam was twenty eight, you know, in his prime. And he's taking this on how many weeks? Like, I think notice? a week or two, no- like two yeah. weeks notice. So good for him to get into the UFC. And I'm this is uh, Sergio's him. first fight back since his loss to Rob Font. Yeah, and he's fighting back down at flyweight because it yeah. looks like the flyweight division is, is staying alive, as John Travolta would say. So that's it. Uh, we'll we'll see how that one then goes. Then sign Malcolm Gordon. Yeah, whoever's we'll, we'll listening, see. sign Malcolm, Malcolm Gordon's Gordon. got a fight lined up, doesn't he? He does. But yeah, after this one though, sign Malcolm Gordon. All right, I'd like to see that too. I was just training with him, and I'll see him in an hour again. Yeah, he bring him in he here. He trains next me time. twice a day. He train, yeah. We've been training twice a day, so he's bring, ready yeah, to go. Yeah, bring Malcolm in. I'd love to chat All with right, him. Let's he's, do he's it. He's a dynamic fighter. Um, who's your pick? Let's go. Let's go with our bets. Uh, let's recap the last card. We both lost. I had Dustin Poirier. You had a uh, parlay of Edson Barboza and Andrea Lee, and all three and of our picks lost. lost. Yes, yeah. all three lost. We all lost. But you're up. You're at one hundred and sixty-five dollars and seventy cents. You're up pretty I'm big still this pretty year. Pretty good. I'm, I'm at eighty-five dollars. So. No, that can't be possible. I think it's $65. I'm going to have to go back and look. I think I gave myself a win instead of a loss. So I think I'm at $65. I'm way down. Way, way. Actually, maybe it is. I'm going to go back and look. I'm going to see what uh, what it was. But whatever. We'll, we'll figure that one out. But, um, yeah, let, let's hear your picks. I had my gut feeling. You heard me say it. I'm going to go with Jeremy Stevens. I'm going to pick it. I think I just went below 100 in the last one. But you're going with Jeremy Stevens? I'm going with Jeremy Stevens. I had a feeling. I was just talking to... Um, one of the wrestling coaches at my gym, Ainsley Robinson, and we were talking about it, and we both kind of agreed that Jeremy Stevens was going to be the one. So um, let's see. Let's see if we can do it. I'm just going to do one pick. I'm going to play it cautious. Um, I'm hoping for an Angela Hill win because she's a friend. Um, Kyle Nelson, I'm hoping he does well, being another Canadian on the card. Uh, so, yeah, but my pick, one and only, Jeremy Stevens. I went against him last time, not this time. All right, I really want to take Jose Quinones. He was at even money yesterday, and now he's at minus 140. So because I'm like I'm getting crushed here, I'm going to parlay him with Sajara Eubanks. It's plus 136. So uh, I'm going to insert that, this into our picks registry because I keep forgetting to do it. But So you have Jeremy Stevens at, plus one, or at minus 115, right? Yep. And I've got Eubanks and Quinones. And what did I say that was? I think uh, plus 136. Is that right? Plus 136. 
So that's going to be uh, our picks for UFC Mexico City. You should probably tail Joe because he's, he's been on a roll of late. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm just feeling good. I don't know. This pick here, I'm feeling good with it. I'm not feeling great about mine, but we'll see how you it know? goes. I'm not feeling, you know, I haven't been doing it. It's well. a tough one. This is a tough one to pick, and a lot of the favorites are just too. You know, there's not really any big heavy favorites. So yeah, there's, yeah Sergio Pez minus three forty-five, and Irene Aldana minus five thirty-five are the two big picks. But yeah, I would have picked something like if I had. I want to know what the odds are. Jeremy Stevens by KO. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, let's see here. The, that, right. that I'm curious to see what the odds on that. It probably I, isn't much better than what he is here. Because they that, expect think, that. Yeah, that, that would be like his best path to victory. But I would say yeah, it'll, it'll give him a plus, plus 200. That's going to be your guess? Yeah. Stevens by KO, plus 170. Plus 170, not bad. I'd not almost bad. rather take him and just eat at like minus, minus 115 instead of point. hoping for like a real prop. Yeah. But uh, anyhow, that's, uh, those are our picks. And uh, we will proceed with our next guest. He is, uh, again, making his uh, long-awaited UFC debut at age 35. And he is Tyson Nam. He joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. I'm now joined by Tyson Nam. Tyson is somebody who has been known to be something of a sacrificial lamb for promoters to bring in and then lose to people. But he always has different plans. He beat Eduardo Dantas in that situation, beat Ali Bagautinov, draw with Yoni Sherbatov. Now you're coming in to face Sergio Pettis. Are you looking to play spoiler once again? Well, call me the sacrificial nam. Because I guess, you know, everybody <laughs> everybody uh, puts the odds against me. But uh, if you're a betting man, you might want to bet on top of me on top of this next upcoming fight. God, I hope you just made that up now. Because that's perfect. I just did. Right off the fly. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. But you gotta, you got to tell the, the people at the UFC that that's what you want to be introduced as. I like that. That's that's actually a perfect name for you because of what your reputation's become. I have a many a nickname, so we'll add that one to the list. All right, perfect. I like it. Well, you've been uh, at it for a long time, and you've been a professional mixed martial artist for over thirteen years. And uh, you know, you've you've faced a lot of people who have competed in the UFC, and now now you're here. I mean, this is where you've wanted to be for such a long time. When you got that call, what what feelings were were going through your head? Well, you know, I got it at um about a 6 a.m. Hawaii time, so I was uh, I was dead asleep. So when I woke up, uh, I woke up with a lot of uh, missed calls, uh, missed FaceTimes, missed uh, text messages. So I was thinking, it's either going to be something good or something upsetting. So, But when, when I did call my manager and, uh, and he said that I'm going to be fighting uh, in Mexico City for the UFC, man, I was overjoyed. So you almost ended up in the UFC years ago after you had beaten Dantas. They, they had sent you kind of overseas to Shudo to face Eduardo, who wanted to stay active, and you ended up playing spoiler there. First-round knockout, minute and 36 seconds in. I don't think anything similar to that has been done since to uh, Eduardo Dantas, but um, they blocked you, essentially. Bjorn Rebney was running Bellator at the time and uh, wouldn't allow you to sign with the UFC. Yeah, he's such a cock blocker. You know, I want to say that uh, that, um, that fight against Eduardo Dantas is probably... The top 100 greatest upsets in sports history, if I if I if I recall it. I mean, the odds was probably so far against against myself. I mean, you know, because Eduardo Dantes was like on a seven or eight fight winning streak, just just running through guys, and there's this little boy out of Hawaii comes uh, comes along overseas and and uh, knocks him out for the uh, his very first time. Absolutely, and. Um... Once that had happened, was Bell- were Bellator angry about that? I mean, obviously, they did not want you to beat their champion. Definitely, there was a, a lot of angry people in that promotion. 
And um, I think that's why they created the rule now that you're not allowed to fight outside of uh, the promotion if you are champion because of myself. Um, you know, uh, I, I was supposed to have been in the Bellator um, Bantamweight tournament upcoming, but then they canceled it. So, I mean, in my eyes or in anybody else's eyes, you no longer fight for that promotion. And since Eduardo Dantes wanted to just stay busy and, you know, like I said, it was uh, it was like a, a hundred to one odds against me, and that's a no-brainer. He's gonna win, and then I win. All of a sudden, uh, all of these contracts come out, all these uh, matching rights uh, come out, and and I, I can't I can't uh, pursue uh, my career in the path that I wanted it to. Now, when you were younger, I think you were 22 years of age. Your uh, your brother was was unfortunately and sadly murdered. Um, had you had ta- spoken to him about beforehand, you know, wanting to one day be in the UFC? Is this like, is this something that you, that you were able to do now to kind of honor his legacy? There was nothing of even the thought that I would ever be considered uh, fighting in the UFC, especially back then. Back then when I first started, I, I picked up mixed martial arts because, uh, it was, uh, a different form of, uh, exercise for myself. I was always into, uh, regular team sports, like basketball, baseball, football, things of that sort. Um, but it always did intrigue me, you know, these combative sports, but I was never allowed to, to participate in just because I was a lot smaller. But uh, when I was uh, around 20, 21, I figured, hey, I could make my own damn choices. I'm, I'm of age, so, um, yeah. Uh, but back, back when I first started, it was just something to uh, – get a good workout in and you know after a couple of couple of uh amateur fights or even after my first uh, couple of professional fights I was like I'll continue and see where this goes but never was there a thought that I would ever uh, be able to fight in the UFC How important was it for you to win that X1 championship X1 is one of the uh, most highly regarded promotions in Hawaii you became the flyweight champion after moving to flyweight um a couple years back was that a big part of why the UFC brought you on um, you know, X one they 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 uh a lot a lot of Hawaii fighters that have fought in X one move on to uh big promotions like like the UFC. Uh it it was definitely important for me to be the flyweight champion just because I am the best in Hawaii. Um I need to yeah. And uh when I get and and you know, just me knowing that I am the best in Hawaii, I mean, I, I, I definitely deserve uh, my shot and my chance moving up into uh, the big promotions and the biggest promotion, the UFC. So where do you want to go from here? I mean, are you looking to stick around the UFC for as long as you can? Is that what the goal is? Or do you want to just get that UFC win and you'll feel like, you, you know, your career has um, apexed? Or, you know, what are you looking ahead to? You know, Sergio Pettis is number five. So... If I come in here on my UFC debut and knock him out, I'm number five. I'm a top five uh, contender in the world. And, you know, especially with my age, even though I'm 35 years young, um, my, my, my body my body hasn't been through all the, uh, the injuries, the aches, and the pain. So, I mean, it can go. I can, I, I, I can go for uh, uh, a few more years. But, you know, like, uh, like I've always said, you know, my, if I can get one fight in the UFC – you know, I can die a happy man tomorrow, but uh, I'm here for, for, for a good time, not a long time. So I want to get this win and see where, uh, where this will project me right after this, which should be straight to the top.
I mean, other than a knockout loss to Marlon Moraes, in the last 10 years, you haven't had any sort of, uh, any sort of bad knockouts or anything along those lines. You know, that was, uh, it was, I felt like it was one of those, uh, one of those, uh, lucky, lucky shots during the fight. I don't know if a lot of people have seen it, but he threw a kick that hit my, that I kind of blocked with my knee that hurt his foot. He threw a punch that kind of hurt his hand. So I felt like he was a little bit, uh, injured at, at, at that point with, uh, now two, uh, two limbs down, but you know, Mar- 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 Marlon is good. He's great. Uh, he's got a multitude of weapons and, and I, I zigged when I should have zagged and he, uh, clipped me with that kick that, uh, that, uh, sent me to a TKO. Now I know you've been, um, represented by Jason House over, you know, on and off for about seven years. Uh, what's it like having someone like him? I know that, uh, we just had Tristan Connolly on the show earlier and we were talking about Jason and how Jason helped him get that fight that really put him on the map this past weekend. Um, how important is representation for you? Representation is of the utmost importance. You know, without, without, without our managers, we, we will never get those chances or those, uh, those shots to get put up in a big, big promotion that, you know, that the managers always have contact with the, the matchmakers and the promoters to put us up in the, the right spot at the right time. They, they can only, they can only do so much. They can, they can lead us, lead us to water, but you know, we got to drink. So, uh, but having representation there, there, there's no way that any fighter without representation would even stand a stand or even have a, have a chance with somebody with represent, representation to, to get those uh, shots. Looking, uh, looking ahead, what do you think is going to happen in the flyweight division? I, you know, I had heard rumblings that they were looking to put together a tournament of some sort. Uh, I don't know if that's going to come together. And then, of course, you've also got uh, Cejudo wanting to fight a bantamweight, it seems, but the UFC really trying to steer him towards Joseph Benavidez and defending that belt. You know, they can do whatever they want to. Tyson Nam is coming in. I'm I'm red hot as fire. And... Um, when they when they see uh when they see uh what what I can do and where I should have always belonged, there's gonna be a lot of uh hype uh in the flyweight division that I'm gonna that, that I'm gonna bring to the to the UFC. And finally, you're in Mexico. You've been there for for some time now. Um, how much weight are you gonna have to cut for this? I mean, it is short notice, um, and of course, there's the altitude. So, what have you been doing to prepare for those two specific things leading up to this fight? I don't eat anything. I'm one of the biggest flyweights that ever lived so there's a there, there there's a it gets down very scientific to the amount that i can eat to the amount that i can drink to how much water i need to uh load up and and you know it, it's never it's never the best day for me but uh we do what we got to do it's a weight class that we picked and and we just gotta stay mentally strong uh, through uh through the torture of uh dropping the weight Will it be harder fighting at elevation, having to cut so much weight in advance? Um, I don't know. I've never done it before, but we're just going to kind of uh, go as as any other weight cut, any other fight. We did uh, we did come up here early to get acclimated to the elevation, so I think uh, I think we're sitting uh, pretty right now. All right, Tyson. Well, hopefully you'll be sitting pretty on Saturday night yourself versus Sergio Pettis, and uh, we look forward to seeing your UFC debut long. Uh, long time coming, and uh, we, we appreciate you joining us on the show. All right. Thanks, Aaron.
That was Tyson Nam, very excited about making his debut in the UFC. And uh, that'll be it for this week's show. And uh, next week we've got the UFC in Copenhagen. You probably Copenhagen. won't be here, right? You're traveling? Yeah, I'm going to uh, Miami. Are you but, here Monday? Uh, um, yes, I'm here Monday. Yeah, maybe we'll put it together for Monday. That could work. You're around. Okay, that we'll could chat. Work. We'll chat. Uh, you can check out Joseph Altolini on YouTube. What's your latest video? Um, I put a combination of um, how to use setup low kicks and finish low kicks. I mean, you have to know there's a big difference. Um, you want to avoid the what I call Anderson Silva shin breaks. You want the Tyrone Spong shin breaks. So you've got to be able to know the difference between setting up low kicks. A setup low kick is good to set up punches. And when you should really dig in and finish that kick. There's a lot of technical differences. I mean, just a quick one for you, Aaron. To set up low kick, I would not pivot as much, and I'll hit lower shin. When I want to finish the leg, I'll step in a little bit more, and I'll hit higher up on my shin. And I'll probably cut the angle down a little bit more. It hurts more. One thing I noticed from watching, uh, I watched Justin Gaethje's fight with Michael Johnson, with Gaethje, actually. And Gaethje was talking about how um, Johnson was kind of riding the black line, which is like, I guess, the octagon in the in the cage. Yeah. They, they ride the black line. And he was... The thing that I noticed that Gaethje was doing, and I wanted to pick your brain on this. So usually when someone's circling, you want to leg kick the, where they're circling into, right? Yeah. He was kicking the leg where he was circling away. Like Johnson was going left, and he was kicking the right leg. Like what's the strategy behind that? I guess, or is it just uh, Gaethje on instinct? Like Gaethje was saying Gaethje he doesn't have instinct, any thoughts probably. when he's in there. He it's just probably acts. Gaethje on instinct. Okay. Or he, what happens is... Um, so he was fighting Barbola. Which one? Which was, fight was this? It was the fight with Michael Johnson. His okay. Debut in the so Michael Johnson was probably trying to circle away from his power low kick, which is the smart thing to do. So if my right low kick, you want to circle away from it. So he was probably circling it away, and Gaethje just went to commit anyways. You can still land it, yeah. but it's just not going to be as effective. Hmm, yeah, it's still, look, I mean, they look painful, but Gaethje's But again, like the guy's going to circle away from it anyway, so he probably just committed to it anyways, and just boom. You still so you're basically rewarded. just trying to circle away from your opponent's power leg. Yeah. Hmm, okay, interesting. But like at that point, like but when so, so nobody can really circle away from you. Will be as uh, both of your legs. I can, being. yeah, I can switch both. But what I usually my setup and what I teach is, if you're a one stance fighter, say you circle towards my right low kick, boom, I'll hit the low kick. If you circle away, I usually load up my left hook. I was surprised by something you said before we started the show, which was uh, I, I mentioned we had our TSN Road Hockey Tournament, yeah. and I played goalie, and you were like, I don't want to get hit with ball. No. I don't want to play goalie. No, no You're a way. kickboxer. You were a professional kickboxer. Yes, but I know punches and kicks, and I could block those. But you can block a ball. Yeah, and someone's got a stick, and they're running at me with it, and they're just slap-shotting it. Yeah, and I, I didn't go get hit with a single stick today. Nah. I, I, think, I did get – someone did run me, though. I, I yeah. hit my head on the ground. Why would you want that? With a helmet, of course. But, but I mean, those hard – those uh, old school – did you play with the old orange Yeah, the orange balls, yeah. Yeah, I got hit in the shoulder with no shoulder but pads. Were, it hurts yeah. a little bit. But, yeah, yeah, those bruises and yeah. stuff. What if that went low, Aaron? I was wearing a cup. Uh, yeah, but still, that's not going to help that, that been much. Fine. I got hit in the cup today. Did you wear like a chest protector? At yeah, least? chest protector. Yeah. And then shin, shin yeah, the big the, shin pads. Uh, yeah, with the pads. Yeah, the, the, yeah. I wore the, nah, I the whole like works. It. And even with me, like being a soccer goalie, why? That's dangerous. Someone Why? on a breakaway. Soccer goalies have a gigantic net. You just move out of the way. Yeah, but you got to run, and someone's on a breakaway. You run. They always get kicked in the face. The goalies are like the most penalty protected shots. Guys. Yeah, I guess you get kicked in the face. To sit in a penalty shot and have someone kick a ball as hard as they can at you? Nah, I'm okay. Yeah, I don't I don't I'm like good. soccer goalie. I'm kind of with you on that. No, I'm not. Because okay. you're not wearing pads. But nobody wants to play goalie. I love playing goalie. I don't want to be out there. I don't want people <laughs> hacking at my, my ankles. Well, what the reason you're going to play goalie is, one, maybe you're not as athletic and you just don't want to run well, as much. Fair. And maybe you're not as, uh, what would the other reason be? 
You're not as skilled, maybe. Yeah, but I'm just... also on there the whole time. Like, these guys are doing line shifts. I'm out there the whole game. And you get man. to play more than everybody. Yeah, but uh, that's true. I don't, I don't like sitting don't on know. the sidelines. Yeah. I like playing goalie. I always played goalie as a kid. Yeah. Uh, it's a good position if you're good at it. It's just yeah. To me, it's not fun to have people slap balls at you. Gino Retta said to me after the game, he goes, you're either a really good goaltender because you were making some crazy saves, or you're just really lucky. And it's the latter. I'm not a very good goaltender. I was just like, yeah, I've got you good, be good, I've got good be hand-eye lucky, coordination. Though. That's true. Because I've got good hand-eye good coordination. you be lucky. Yeah. You did your martial arts training, so maybe you're quick on the hands now. The martial arts training time? helped me a lot, actually. For sure. For sure because I was, I was like, I was treating the ball as if it was coming at, you know, yeah. that I wanted to get hit by it. I was... Yeah. You know, yeah, come I wasn't shying away it. from the content, the, the uh, contact. If you can play goalie, that's when you got to get sparring. Then get sparring again. I, I haven't been in the gym in a while. Like I, I know, I, you know, I've got three you kids. could walk to my gym in three minutes. Yeah, but, but I've got but three kids got at kids. home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can also you walk to the couch on the main floor at night and sleep yeah. there. I know. I'm just playing. Right? I'd like to get a punching bag of some sort. I'd like to you get should. one of those revolution bags. Even for your kids, it'd be nice for them to have something. I almost got one. I actually hurt myself badly on one of the ones I kicked the, the cement part. <laughs> Is it the, you're <laughs> looking hurts. like the the water one where the, the big uh, water tank at the bottom? Is yeah. that the one you're talking about? Well, no, I like the cement one, but yeah, yeah. The, the, that got hurt badly. Because hanging them, I mean, it's probably harder badly. to hang somewhere at the house or if they have yeah, stand, I, I, I wouldn't stands hang and one. stuff. Yeah, I want, the, I want one of the stands. With a nice ones. stand. You should. Yeah. You should. But I've also got like a kid that's cruising around like a one year old baby, less than one year old, and she's everywhere, so I can't. I got to wait a little bit before I can get that. Yeah, need yeah. a bigger garage. Get put in the garage, maybe. That's right. Yeah, you because you, you don't you have yeah you do have a garage. Yeah, but I, I have it's smaller. It's yeah, it's smaller. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's a tough sell right now. But well, one day, one, one day. day, one day. <laughs> All right, Joe. We'll, we'll see uh, you soon. We'll buddy. see you next week, maybe on Monday. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca/ufc.